And welcome everybody to the WrestleCast episode 31, Golden Week in the Bank. Yes, this is the Red Leaf Retrocast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the WrestleCast edition. And if you can tell by the sound of my voice, I am just getting over a really bad cold. Uh, you will definitely hear it worse later when I am joined by a guest host by the name of JPQ from the No Particular Angle podcast. I end up losing my voice at the end of it. It's quite funny. What we got on the agenda here today is a pretty stacked one over the last couple weeks of wrestling. Man, it just seems like anytime I get caught up, I'm already behind. Uh, we got the best of the Super Juniors going on. Uh, what we're doing in this cast is uh, I will start off hot with my personal experience going into WWE Money in the Bank. Yes, we're finally talking about WWE that doesn't involve WrestleMania as my cat in the corner is playing with one of his toys. Very nice. At least he's busy over there and not jumping on the table just yet. After Money in the Bank, we'll go into uh, the weekly wrestling recap involving uh, Major League Wrestling, MLW, episodes 56 and 57, taking place over Cinco de Mayo. Uh, Uncharted Territory from Beyond Wrestling that you can catch over on Independent TV, Independent Wrestling TV. Uh, we'll be doing episodes 6 and 7. And by the way, a little sneak peek is I went to Uncharted Territory episode 8 live. So I finally got to go back, so you'll get to hear the first-hand experience uh, when I go to that in the next episode. <clears throat> uh, then, after the weekly recap is done, that's when we'll cut to myself and JPQ talking a long time about basically the whole state of stardom, a lot of controversy coming out of stardom, uh, why we like it, what's been going on, all the latest feuds, and what we love about what's happening in stardom in 2019, what happened during Golden Week in particular, and how that attributes to the future of stardom uh, going forward. So a lot happened during Golden Week. So we talked about about that for about 90 minutes. So that's a big chunk of this podcast episode. So if you want to skip over stardom, timestamps are in the description of the episode. If you want to skip all the way to stardom uh, right away, you can go check that out. After we're done talking about stardom, JPQ stays, and we talk about the first week of the Best of the Super Juniors. That's day one, days one through six. Uh, days seven through probably uh, up to the finals, uh, it's just me guessing, will be in the next episode. <clears throat> and then uh, once that's over with, we'll round out the episode with, yes, we have an iTunes review, finally. And a, uh, our first episode of Nitro we're covering on the cast, uh, switching over from Thunder. This is taking place right after the Great American Bash 1998. So we're starting off with Nitro because this, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I believe is where WCW starts heading downhill in a hurry. And I want to catch it all in its glorious dumpster fire glory in real time. Uh, at least in the rewatch along that I'm doing. <clears throat> And I do want to make it known that uh, I do want to apologize uh, for a couple of reasons. Super Strong Cell 16 in progress took a long time to get get through. I want, I've wanted to keep up with the best of the Super Juniors. And, you know, once you get behind on that, it's almost never catching up. Same thing with WXW, uh, True Colors and the Road to True Colors shows. Uh, and the Dragon Gate show that I've been meaning to watch. Uh, I, ha I have them mostly done... 
but I want to, I, I think in the next episode, there'll be less to talk about, uh, and I can really focus on what had happened uh, in progress in WXW, and, you know, full disclosure, I am a little behind on everything, so <clears throat> let's get this thing started. Uh, Money in the Bank WWE 2019, uh, I went to with uh, my friend Kevin from the Retro uh, Gaming Edition podcast of the Red Leaf Retrocast, uh, it was over in Connecticut, uh, got to meet up with him, which is always fun, and what are my thoughts over it? You know, I, I was going into Money in the Bank, uh, it's almost like I, I never missed a thing with WWE, even though I haven't watched it, I listen to the occasional podcast, but nothing's changed in the whole landscape, uh, pre-show was very skippable, it was your typical, uh, TV tag team match, is very formulaic, not terrible, but, you know, former WWE champion Daniel Bryan gets pinned by the Usos, and, uh, naturally, the, like, the very next night on Raw, the Usos get pinned, so 50-50, uh, I don't know what is with WWE and wanting to pin, basically your title contenders all the time. It's almost like they, it's 50-50 booking. It's really irritating. It makes no one look strong in the end. Uh, but anyways, your former champion gets pinned in a nothing tag team match. So good job. Uh, but we do start off hot with a match. I was not expecting to be basically the second best match on the entire card. And that is the women's money in the bank match. The, uh, your participants were Bailey, Carmella, Dana Brooke, Ember Moon, Mandy Rose, with Sonya Deville, Naomi, Natalia, and Nikki Cross, so way too many people in the match. Uh, it was very much like last year's Money in the Bank, where it was just a very practiced spot fest, where uh, two competitors would get in the ring, they'd do a move, or there'd be three or four people in the ring, and one person would do some sort of spot, such as Nikki Cross getting the ladder and doing the helicopter spin, uh, there was a couple neat spots in there where, where such as Naomi, uh, in between two ladders, does the splits, two competitors hit themselves with the ladder. That was neat. I really liked Ember Moon's spot, jumping from a ladder outside the ring, hitting the eclipse inside the ring. That got a big pop. Uh, but other, there was an interesting moment where I thought from my vantage point in the stands that Carmella had stepped in between a ladder awkwardly and she twisted her knee. And our whole section got that vantage point as well. But what had actually happened was it was just like a drop kick and she sold it. And uh, she did come back in the match, but, you know, we thought she was legit injured. So I guess from WWE's perspective, they, they got us. Uh, really cool ending, though, where Sonya Deville played best bro moment where no one was in the ring. Mandy Rose was just knocked out outside, Sonya picks her up, puts the ladder in, then puts Mandy Rose on her shoulders, climbs all the way up to the ladder, and Bailey just pushes him off and wins Money in the Bank. Big pop. I popped hard for Bailey winning. That was a big highlight. WWE has done all they can to ruin Bailey and her character. Uh, she's, a, she's a good wrestler. She's a good worker in the ring. Uh, very right having her win. I was very excited. Uh, I honestly totally forgot Nikki Cross and Dana Brooke were even in this match at all. Uh, so, you know, 
Bailey cuts a post post match uh, promo, which was very awkward and scripted. Uh, she mentioned Banks, and that got booze. Uh, it just all came off very fake. Uh, then this is where the show starts to go very awkward and slow. Uh, we get the U.S. title match, Samojo Rey Mysterio, which lasted a total of a minute and 39 seconds. Uh, very lame. Joe, I guess, got his nose busted and then rolled up. So the opposite of what happened at Mania. Ray gets his win back, a title change. Everyone just goes, what the fuck? What the hell is that? Everybody in the stands was nonsense. And with that disappointment, we're immediately followed by the cage match. And, and everybody around us is like, cool, awesome cage match. But it's Shane McMahon versus The Miz. It goes 13 minutes. And honestly, this was the worst match I have seen live in like 20 years. It was just slow. Nothing was happening. Babyface Miz is nothing to get behind because he's just he just he's constantly made a made to look like a total loser geek. Um, there was a weird moment where Miz has Shane pinned, but his foot goes on the rope, so there's a rope break and a pin during a cage match, which is very awkward uh, considering that the rope break during submissions doesn't matter. Um, and I swear the announcer before the match said that the only way to win was to escape the cage. Probably a slip in the tongue, because uh, that's never the case. But anyways, Melch just felt, match just felt like it was forever. Uh, audible AEW chants throughout the entire arena. There was bullshit chants, there was CM Punk chants, and this match deserved all of that. I hated this match, I never want to talk about it again. Even live, I was bored out of my mind. Luckily, I had my friends around me, so we were just joking nonsense the whole time. Uh, that was followed by the Cruiserweight title match. Tony Nese defeats Davari in nine minutes, and this was the match where everybody in the arena uh, went out for their bathroom break. It was actually quite fascinating to see the entire arena just hit the, hit the concession stands and bathroom all at once. Just half the place was gone easily, if not more. And uh, they weren't all back in time for the Raw women's title match. This is your your uh, your Becky Lynch moment. Uh, she gets a big pop uh, for her entrance. Lacey Evans comes out dressed like a, I guess, a green fairy or something. It was weird. Uh, Lynch is still super over. The crowd loves her. So there was that, at least this had all that going for it. But that was it. The first four minutes was okay of the match. It was The match was only eight and a half minutes. And... Once Lacey Evans gets through her repertoire, her four moves, you know, her, her uh, slingshot elbow drop, couple kicks, um, she's done. She doesn't know how to do anything beyond that. That's all she's capable of. She's still just so super green, and it's it was very obvious. Because once the second half of the four minutes happened, this is where the match just gets super sloppy. Nothing was clicking. Uh... Evans is just way too green still. She needs a lot more time, and uh, obviously this is... I'm really afraid... Maybe it's not obvious, but... I'm really afraid this is just going to be Dana Brooke 2.0, where WWE's really behind uh, this big, blonde character and doesn't have the ring capability to back it up yet. She needs more time. At least Dana Brooke... Uh, from everything I'm, I'm reading and hearing along the grapevines, is she's putting in 
all the effort to get better. Staying, she's the first one in, last one out situation. Putting the ring together, she's putting in the in the effort, uh, but she still doesn't get any TV time. So, who's to know really how better she is getting? Regardless, uh, immediately Charlotte Flair's music hits upon Becky Lynch retaining the Raw title. And she's got a skip in her step, big smile on her face. She's beckoning it. It was kind of funny. I, I, I like that. Uh, I did like the booking here overall. Uh, I did... I did. What I mean is um, Charlotte coming out right after, you know, so this gives some credibility to it all, right? Becky Lynch faces one person. Charlotte, who can beat her, uh, gets a uh, tired Lynch in a second match, but where it goes wrong a little bit is this cut short six minute match with the fuck finish of Evans hitting her. Cause we saw Evans throw a right hand punch in her match and Lynch didn't sell it. Like it was the women's right. That's the finisher. It's a dumb finisher. But in this instance, all of a sudden it is enough to finish her. Uh, However, there was a no-sell small package right after that, so the continued no-sell happened <coughs> after that. And uh, upon getting up, Charlotte grazes, like, just nicks <laughs> Becky Lynch with a big boot to win. It was all very strange. Uh, even Kevin just goes, he didn't even touch her. Like it, it just didn't look very good. I don't know if that was a part of Lynch selling or... Charlotte Flair just straight up missing. It could be a combination of both. Uh, there was a post-match beatdown. Uh, we we're all craving and chanting for Bailey in the audience. Bailey does come out. She knocks Flair unconscious. Fuck, we all wanted Bailey to grow a pair and cash in. Bailey's like looking around. Am I gonna do it? Should I do it, guys? She does it. She hits the elbow drop. New champ. Fuck yes. What a moment. Uh, I exploded. The crowd exploded. Bailey goes off in the stands, whole hugger section, holds up the sign. Bailey's relevant again. I couldn't be happier. Uh, this was the rejuvenation of a character all in one night. Uh, this was Bailey's night, right? A star has been made. Uh, she's, her star should have never faded in the first place, uh, but they have rekindled it with this night, which is very nice to see. Now, what I don't want to see is... Uh, Bailey versus Rose or Carmella, Carmella or anything like that. I want to have Bailey beat Charlotte clean, then move on to people she can actually work with to give her credibility as a champion. So whether that's her beating Lynch in a rematch, um, or Charlotte or Asuka or whoever, you know, have Bailey win matches, give her credibility. That's what I want to see. Uh, that will keep me interested in her and tuning in at least to her matches going forward. I won't watch the rest of Raw or SmackDown, but you get the idea. Uh, Roman Reigns defeats Elias in 10 minutes. He did his, Elias did his shtick to Connecticut. Everyone in Connecticut like agreed with him, which was kind of funny in the audience. Uh, nothing else to say there. Uh, match of the night easily was Seth Rollins defeating AJ Styles in almost 20 minutes. It was 19 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, Seth Rollins, AJ Styles just crushed it in the ring. This was awesome. Uh, I was so glued to the ring and what was happening. It was a solid technical affair of what both guys are capable of. This is what Nakamura and Styles should have been. No dusty finishes, no nonsense, a good 
wrestling match for the title. Why can't we have this more often, WWE? This is what needs to happen. Uh, the moment of the match was easily Styles' uh, reversal of the curb stomp counter into the Styles Clash. It was just a thing of beauty. I just went, oh, how was that even possible? Just flipped him upside down, caught him, Styles Clash. Now, what I don't like is the constant people kicking out of the Styles Clash, but you know, that's just me from the TNA days and seeing Styles always put guys away with this move, but now it's the phenomenal forearm, you know, the springboard forearm. That's his finisher. Uh, so, uh, he didn't hit that. It's okay. Rollins, uh, defends the title. I don't know why the crowd booed about them wanting to shake hands. That whole code of honor thing, har- harping back to their, uh, not harping, but calling back to the ring of honor, uh, connection that they have. A lot of people wanted AJ Styles to turn heel. I'm like, no, why? Why do that? If he's going to turn heel, turn heel with Finn Balor. <laughs> you know, create, create some form of Bullet Club thing. Uh, anyways. Uh, Kofi Kingston defeats Kevin Owens in 15 minutes. Uh, this was an okay TV type match. Um, kids, this is what I found fascinating. The match was okay. I didn't have any issue with it. I just cannot personally get into Kofi Kingston as champion. Uh, he's throwing pancakes on the way of his ring. He's He just doesn't come off as championship material. Um, especially after 10, year, 10, 11 years of him not being in this picture and just seemingly getting over in a gauntlet match. you know. And uh, what I found fascinating was as soon as Kofi Kingston's music hit, all the kids around me busted out their phones. Uh, it was very interesting. They completely ignored this. One kid in the row in front of me watched YouTube WWE 2K Top 10 videos the whole time. Uh, And as soon as the match was over and that bell rang, they all put their phones away. It was so fascinating to see. Uh, So I hope people realize that Kofi Kingston is not the draw that people think he is. Because kids certainly do not care about him. Kids have seen over the past even two years, two, three years that Kofi Kingston is not the guy that should be on top. It should be a Kevin Owens. It should be AJ Styles, Seth Rollins. Those are the guys, not Kingston. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh. So, on to the main event, Money in the Bank ladder match. Um, You know, you had uh, Mustafa Ali, Almas, Corbin, McIntyre, Finn Balor, Randy Orton. And Ricochet. Match goes just about 19 minutes. You know there were only four guys in the entirety of WWE that should not have won the Men's Money in the Bank match. That was Shane McMahon, Roman Reigns, Baron Corbin, and of course Brock Lesnar. And of course WWE goes with one of the four. Brock Lesnar's music hits at the end of the match, and he wins Money in the Bank. Not even in the match, by the way. But he can take it. He can just come in and take the title. Doesn't make any sense to me either. Sami Zayn was supposed to be in it. There was this little ongoing thing throughout the whole night where Sami's all afraid of Braun Strowman coming in and Braun Strowman gets kicked out of the arena. Sami Zayn gets strung up. So I guess you could just beat someone up now and take their spot. And there's no acknowledgement of he can just do this. And it's okay. Uh, 
a few of it was a really fun match for the most part. You could tell everybody wanted McIntyre to win. Uh, all the kids, surprisingly enough, that was in the section I was around wanted Randy Orton to win. So he's still a big draw and character for WWE. Uh, I personally don't want to see Randy Orton on top anymore. I think he's his character's done and over with. Uh, especially since he's not innovating or changing or doing anything of the like. But So let's imagine if Kevin Owens or hell... Bray Wyatt did the exact same thing Lesnar did, right? The crowd would have exploded in happiness. Like, it all would have made sense uh, to their characters, especially the Bray Wyatt character with the whole psycho clown, murder clown thing going on. Uh, but they didn't do that. Bray Wyatt has, has had these weird promos for over a month, not wrestled a single match, we know nothing of what they're going to do with this character other than these promos. So this would have been an immediate star-making thing. An immediate repackage, right? Instead, they just went with Brock Lesnar, which we can assume he's just going to cash in for the Saudi Arabia show that uh, sh everyone should be boycotting, you know, for the summer. You know, anytime WWE starts approaching the Saudi thing, people should just cancel their network, uh, not watch, and not cover. You know, I, I don't like these... Uh, podcast pundits that cover this stuff and just say, you know, I only watch it because I got to. So, um, upon Lesnar's music hitting, uh, it was pretty interesting to see. I, I cracked up in laughter so much because it is such a WWE thing to just piss on their fans like this. They hate their fans. And with AEW coming around uh, the corner with Double or Nothing, you know, uh, as I'm recording this cast, Double or Nothing has already happened. However, uh, for the sake of AEW and getting started and all the surprises that they're pulling, announcing their TV deal, this is WWE's answer? Brock Lesnar's radio... You know, yes, he has mainstream influence. It's not big enough to pull bigger than 4 to 6%. It can't be. Just because the majority of people know of the guy doesn't mean he's going to turn your product around just because he's featured, right? It's the same thing with the Roman Reigns effect. Uh, anyways, uh, people fled the arena. Everyone went home unhappy in the arena. Uh, WWE has this fascinatingly boring card makeup that they do. Where you start off hot, then you have fillers that they're basically telling the audience you shouldn't care about this match. They want to bring you down on purpose, so then when you get to a match that they want you to care about, your your emotions are a lot peaked. A lot more peaked. So, putting something like Kingston Owens after Rollins Styles is totally on purpose to what they think. It, they have this mentality that this is the genius thing. This is how we make up a good card. Uh, I absolutely can't stand it. It makes for just an up and down night where, where you just look back on it and you go, you know what? I was kind of bored the whole time. Yeah, there were some good moments in there, but, you know, you, when you end a show that they that they 
tend to do so often, it reminds me too much of the WCW 2000 days, which we'll get to eventually on this cast covering uh, the Nitro and Thunders. So everyone in the arena is going home unhappy. I still remember the Bailey moments, but, you know, at the end of the night, it's how you close the show that matters, and they closed it in a very disappointing manner. Uh, it was an easy drive back home. Got to go to work the next day. I was totally fine. Uh, of course, just less than a week later, I'm sick and just getting healthier now. So here I am. And with that, uh, let's get on to our wrestler spotlight. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And we're back for the Red Leaf Retrocast. Wrestler Spotlight, continuing our journey through NWA US Champions, the US title, now uh, owned by WWE. We're just going down the list to uh, wrestlers. Um, we'll eventually get to the point where uh, we won't get to retired wrestlers anymore, but, you know, there there's always guys to, um, guys to cover. Uh, we are on the US Champion number five. This is... Black Jack Mulligan. Uh, I've seen a couple matches of his in the past before. Uh, he's a wrestling family family legend. Uh, father of wrestlers Barry, Barry and Kendall Windham. So the Windhams. Uh, father-in-law of Mike Rotunda, a.k.a. IRS. And the grandfather of current wrestlers Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas. So how about that? Uh, he was urged to wrestle by Wahoo McDaniel because of their whole football ties. Uh, in uh, Texas, in the South. Um, and he was trained by Joe Blanchard, so the Blanchard family, uh, and Vern Gagne, very famous wrestler. Uh, he's billed at 6'9", 300 pounds, just a massive dude. When you see him in the ring or standing next to guys, you go, yeah, he's he's big. Uh, he started in the AWA and moved on to the WWF, became Blackjack, being a basically a scruffy, tough cowboy type. He wore all black, had black gloves, and used the Iron Claw submission holds. And this is where I come in with my familiar familiarity with, with uh, of him. I remember uh, getting my first um, WCW WWF, WWF games, and uh, in the creator wrestler, you could give them the Iron Claw, and it just looks ridiculous. I was like, who had that? And uh, look up in an almanac, like who created this submission hold? Oh, it's Blackjack Mulligan. Who's that guy? And, that's how I came to, to know this guy. I have mentioned on a previous cast that Mulligan and his son Kendall Women spent two years in prison due to getting caught with half a mil in counterfeit bills in, in 1990. So um, that was an interesting fact I came across. Uh, he, would, he would often be a big heel guy against big baby faces in the era of, say, Bruno San Martino, Andre the Giant, Pedro Morales, and the like. Uh, found a lot of tag team success with partner Jack Lonza forming the Blackjacks. I was more familiar with Blackjack Mulligan in uh, that tag team. Um, so I knew nothing of his NWA US title reign and when he was in that picture a lot in the Mid-South Jim Crockett promotion wrestling. So this was all new to me. Uh, he captured the US title in March 1976 from Paul Jones, the guy we covered in the last cast. Uh, starting his 217-day reign, breaking Harley Race's amazing work rate. Something I failed to mention uh, when I did cover Harley Race uh, was his work rate. But he did eclipse his title reign. Uh, 
throughout the mid to late 70s, this is where Mulligan would spend his singles titles reigns. Going up against Ric Flair, Steamboat to name a couple. And uh, what was interesting was when he was against Ric Flair, he was a big baby face. But then when he was against Ricky Steamboat, he was the big heel again. So uh, I guess if a guy was a bigger heel against Mulligan, he would step back to the babyface role, which I found quite interesting. I watched a lot. I watched about three or four Ric Flair Blackjack Mulligan matches, and they were they were all different from each other, at least from Ric Flair's standpoint. Mulligan would do pretty much the same thing in every match. He would uh, he would have his uppercut punches. He was just a big dude. Uh, Ric Flair and and even Steamboat. I didn't catch a couple Steamboat matches. They would just bump and oversell anything Mulligan would do. It was pretty nuts how overly bumpy they would get. It was almost watching Mr. Perfect uh, over embellish what he would do on a daily basis. Um, Mulligan would throw guys against the, uh, against the ropes, catch him, iron claw, and then, you know, hand to their face. Uh, he was a pretty good promo. Um, pretty standard for the most part. Uh, it was mostly his size that was so impressive. Um, then when he got into the eighties, that's where the whole WWF thing came along. And he had the Blackjack Barbecue, which was kind of the same as Piper's Pit. Uh, and I just didn't... I don't know. I couldn't get into Blackjack Mulligan. I get his character. He's a big dude. He comes off the screen well. Uh, but all of his matches, I just couldn't get into. He's he's one of the first guys... Well, I guess Paul Jones was that first. Because I really like Paul Jones as a manager more than in-ring guy. And Blackjack Mulligan gave me the same thing Paul Jones did. Just, yeah, I get it, but I just can't get into what they're bringing to the table. Um, so, that's Blackjack Mulligan, the fifth U.S. champion. He's one of the uh, the the most decorated NWA U.S. title champions of all time. I think he's ranked fourth overall for days with the title. So, he, did, he is a big deal with the title's history. Um... But I just never saw him win anything other than this title, and the guys he feuded with probably made him look a lot better than what he is. At least that's what I could tell from my perspective. He was always with just awesome workhorse dudes. So anyways, with that, uh, I would recommend checking out some of the Ric Flair matches. Uh, There's a steel cage match you can check out. There's a uh, actually I did like I did really like the Ric Flair Mulligan uh, Texas Tornado what was it Texas it was like a it wasn't a Texas Death Match but it was it was like a it, I forget I honestly forget it was a it was almost like a two out of three falls match with a Texas name stipulation but uh, I really liked that one uh, okay. On to our weekly wrestling recap, shall we? Alright. You just heard the theme of Major League Wrestling. Love that theme song. 
Episodes 56 and 57, we are starting with Cinco de Mayo, hosted by Zalina de la Renta for episode 56 of MLW. We get a cold open with Zelina in a very sexy black dress talking on the phone in front of Loki doing push-ups. There's a bunch of white furniture around. Uh, Loki's all upset about Zelina, is more focused on the finer things in life for her faction over Loki being worried about Daga coming for him because of the ear incident months back. We cut to Cornette and Bokini uh, with Zelina as she cuts a promo about everyone likes a woman on top. Eh, eh, okay, all right. Uh, of course, the announcers can't stay focused due to Zelina's pure allure, we'll say. Uh, we got Sammy Callahan breaking into the building and has commandeered a cameraman to follow him, follow him around on his vigilante backstage actics. That's the theme of the episode here. Uh, first match is Daga versus Loki. Uh... Pretty lame match, as it missed a lot of the grudge match feel that it probably should have been going for, especially since Dog is all hyped up about getting revenge on Loki for his ear. Loki win wins via his feet on the ropes. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Match had too much mis miscommunication, was pretty rough overall. Wasn't a fan, but at least it got the night started with Zelina's faction looking strong. Uh, Zelina then announces the brackets for the National Openweight Championship Tournament that's happening. Uh, we get Gringo Loco versus Hammerstone in one side. Rich Swan versus Pillman Jr. on the other. So, interesting four choices. I would probably agree with only two of those. Loco and, Loco and Swan aren't on the biggest win streaks lately. So, odd. So, I imagine it's going to be Hammerstone versus Pillman Jr. in the finals, but anyways. We get a funny Rocky-like montage of Tom Lawler uh, Dominguez training for Contra Unit. Tom Lawler cuts a promo before they do that. It was quite funny, actually. I It was quite comical. Back to Callahan. He jumps Ricky Martinez backstage and uh, takes his phone. So, I think we know what's going to happen there. Second match, El Hijo de la Park with Selena de la Renta ringside versus Gringo Loco. So obviously, since Gringo Loco was announced for the tournament, he should win this match, right? Well, or at the very least, Selena gets involved and costs him the match, right? That way everyone wins. Instead, we get Hijo Park uh, with a sloppy win. Gringo Loco clearly carries the weight in this match. Uh, but it was not very good. It was very awkward. Uh, booking only makes Loco look weak in this sense, and now I find myself wondering why he's even in the national title tournament at all. Shouldn't it be Hijo de la Park instead, or someone that actually wins matches? Because I swear I've only seen Gringo Loco win like one or two matches in all of the MLW I've seen. <laughs> sure, he's over with the crowd, but man. Uh, back to Callahan, he calls Zelina with the stolen phone, cuts a very strange promo on her, it was, came across awkward, uh, basically says tonight will be full of surprises, so we can assume Callahan is going to ruin her big Cinco de Mayo, anyways, uh, our main event is uh, LA Park with Zelina ringside against Pentagon Jr., hell yeah, right guys, this could headline a triple, triple mania, over over in Mexico. Uh, this match was fun, uh, but many parts made no sense. 
examples include terribly, terribly obvious, oblivious ref uh, moments. Uh, ref takes forever to notice anything of all the cheating. Uh, when Zelina gets involved, at one point she like slaps Pentagon and she's up on the apron and even Pentagon hitting on Selena throws a big kiss on her and Selena essentially just doesn't do anything regardless I found that all that very strange uh but what I found mostly strange is now we've seen three matches with Selena ringside and she played no part in the finish of any actual match so is that saying that her faction's strong enough without her or did they just not think that through properly uh park wins via spear so gets over pentagon probably the right decision there since la park is supposed to be the next contender for the title with his battle riot win post-match Selena thanks the crowd for their disgusting money and thanks the sponsors and uh, the sponsors gave gave them a gift naturally it's a big present type thing and Mance Warner pops out of the gift box crowd goes nuts and we head off the air uh surprise you know despite my negativity surrounding this episode I had a lot of fun with it you know I loved Zelina De La Renta uh everything she brought to the party uh it felt like a promociones Dorado show uh and I hope to see more more of this kind of specialty shows in the future <clears throat> Uh, the matches probably could have been better, um, at least how they flowed, um, but it was a fun show. Uh, on to episode 57, this show was a lot less of such. Uh, we start out with undefeated Barrington Hughes video, because he's going against Jacob Fatu of Contra Unit tonight. Just reminded us how big and bad Barrington Hughes is. Uh, but our first match is Airwolf, Airwolf versus Ray Phoenix. As you know, I've been very high on seeing more of Airwolf and what he's capable of and where he's heading in the future. Uh, really fun high-flying match with Airwolf getting the shock win. Phoenix has a big smile on his face. He just raises Airwolf's uh, arm because he bested him. He got the better of him on, on that night. Uh, I quite like that. Uh, so it's nice to see Airwolf get the win. And again, I look forward to seeing this guy more, more and more each time. Uh, putting the young guy over. I like that. Zelina cuts a promo on both Callahan and Warner, saying Callahan doesn't shower and Warren, Warner is a chicken fucker. So I found that pretty funny. Uh, and after all that build of Barrington Hughes over the past couple weeks in that video package we start up, Jacob Fatu fucking comes out and beat him inside, beats him inside a minute, cementing Fatu as a true destroyer. Uh, I love this booking. The crowd even set, goes apeshit for it. They're just, holy shit, you beat this this big undefeated guy. Uh, Fatu sells it off really well as he's just a machine. It's pretty sweet. Uh, I absolutely love the love the um, first two matches here and, and the bookings for each of them. We cut back to our MLW triple promo time, as they like doing. Uh, Heart Found, New Heart Foundation talking nonsense with Teddy Hart. Um bedside in a hotel <clears throat> Pillman and Smith Jr. are just in the couch just looking at him he's flipping cats on his bed uh, Dynasty he says the Dynasty has undersized testicles and the like Smith Jr. just can't even hold back his own laughter It's it was quite ridiculous 
Then we get ham- then we get a promo from Hammerstone saying he's not worried about his matches. Standard standard stuff. We get a video package over the Von Erich brothers uh, coming to MLW and a hi- and a hype little vignette thing of Austin Aries eventually coming to MLW. So we got some talent coming, more talent coming to MLW. Very interesting. Get a Tom Lawler promo hype time talking about uh, Avalanche from WXW as his next uh, title defense standard there. Then we get a very strange five-minute match. It's Brian Idol versus Ariel Dominguez. Uh, As we know, Dominguez was training with Tom Lawler, so he has more, I guess, MMA repertoire in his in his game now I didn't like this match really really all that much it was just really fast nothing clicked uh Domingos gets his shockwind victory just like Airwolf before him uh the difference was just could not get into this one uh we get Warner and Callahan cutting a promo together on Zelina and now they're hardcore buddies kind of deal uh they do a really lame kind of funny shtick where it's like thumbs up Thumbs down, no, knee pad up, knee pad down, whatever. (laughs) It was ridiculous. Cut to a hallway, we find Zelina and Loki arguing. Uh, Zelina says, basically, Loki, our business relationship contract is coming to a close, so where to next, eh? Kind of situation, so leaves a lot of doubts for the viewers to kind of put the strings together. And we got our first national open weight uh, tournament situation here. Gringo Loco versus Hammerstone. This match went about how one would expect. Uh, there's some back and forth. Uh, really awkward fan play by Gringo throughout this match. Uh, but Hammerstone wins after just a mess. Uh, yeah, it happened. <sighs> Not much else to say. Hammerstone even cuts a promo saying he's big and bad kind of situation uh, not the best MLW episode by any means uh, I really like the Cinco de Mayo one at least it had a good theme to it all and it all made sense but this one didn't do do much for me other than uh, the Airwolf win and the Fatu win uh, but that was a very two very quick uh, segments for the show it was at the, at the top of the hour instead of or at the start of the hour instead of the top so whoo MLW Hope it picks up in the next week or two. I believe we're coming up to another uh, pay-per-view of theirs soon. Alrighty. Beyond Wrestling Uncharted Territory. We're covering episodes 6 and 7. As we do, we're uh, always covering two episodes at a time, being that this podcast is every other week. Uh, so I hope you guys like it. Uncharted Territory is uh, the indie show of indie shows. Uh, it's a weekly wrestling show put on by Beyond Wrestling on independentwrestling.tv. <clears throat> you can, there's a number of promo codes out there to get 20 days free trial. Whether it's Uncharted, MJF Sucks, uh, hashtag Beyond Wrestling, whatever it may be. Uh, use it. I, I do recommend at least checking out uh, any episode. Maybe it'll tickle, tickle your fancy. It, ha- it has a really nice feel to it. Uh, stars are being made. Beyond Wrestling has its fingers in a lot of uh, a lot of people that are in the wrestling promotions you may watch, whether that's New Japan, AEW, 
uh, WWE, Ring of Honor. It's pretty amazing how, how much uh, everything stems from just this little promotion in the Northeast here. But we're starting with episode six. Uh, Chris Dickinson calls out Josh fucking Briggs. Uh, pretty cool stuff here. Uh, Briggs is coming back from his hip displacement injury. Uh, he's been selling that quite well. Dickinson's on his path to proving he's a tough fucking son of a bitch. Uh, taking on the biggest and baddest beyond wrestling and just independent wrestling has to offer before his July American Rana standoff against Daisuke Sekimoto. <clears throat> so, this match is hard-hitting. It's exactly what you want to see. Uh, undefeated, or at least um, winning streak, Josh Briggs uh, does not come through in this match. Oh, my God. I gotta pull up the cage match. The stats here for Beyond Wrestling. Oh, it's been a rough weekend, guys. Just in full recovery mode. Lots of Sunny D in my diet lately. <laughs> Sunny D and soup. Gotta get that vitamin C. Uh, lots of sleep, too. Uh, I hope you don't mind that this episode is not filled with the uh, <clears throat> enthusiasm that you're used to. But needless to say, Dickinson does get the win. Uh, Discovery Gauntlet uh, follows, and this is probably now my new favorite stipulation every week on Uncharted Territory. Uh, Thomas Santel, the Ovaltine Dream, wins again against Brad Hollister. This guy was a total tool. He was a douchebag. I hated this guy. I wanted to see Santel win. It was, uh, it was quite the sight to see how over this guy is, right? Um, I was a little worried that Hollister was going to get the win here. Uh, broke his glasses. It was it was just nonsense. Um, Centel cuts his awkward nerd promo that he does after the match. Uh, I hope this guy goes all the way to American Rana. I never want to see him lose. Um, this is also episode six was also commending Beyond Wrestling for uh, it's their ten year anniversary. So this next match, the six six man tag team match is basically a, a a trios tornado match it was under beyond house rules uh they tried to get beyond wrestling originals uh from their indiana days uh so we have eric corvis johnny cockstrong funny name uh nicholas k k k k a y e uh they took on the team and defeated the team of chase burnett jefferson saint and zane silver uh, I'm familiar with almost all of the unfamiliar with almost all these guys, but, um, Johnny Cockstrong definitely, uh, stood out the most. <laughs> we get a singles match while in that of Johnny, Joey Janela, uh, taking on M dot mad dog, Matt cross, uh, Matt cross is still in his, uh, Lucha underground, uh, contract, unfortunately, so, because he seems like the perfect AEW type guy. But Joey Janela beats him. Uh, Janela is just embodying independent wrestling and also trying to make a name for himself uh, heading over to AEW. Uh, I quite like it. Joey Janela just, he clicks with the crowd. 
with his antics and what he does, you know, whether that's him looking at the crowd and with his really just douchebaggy smile and his glasses, uh, saying, I'm doing this for Jesus or, uh, he's so happy with all of his gimmicks that he comes up with. Even that, even teaming with Chris Dickinson with Slither, he just embraces it fully. It's really funny. Uh, I can't wait to see what Joey Janela has in store for the rest of Uncharted Territory. We get an independent wrestling TV title match of Orange Cassidy taking on Jordan Grace, because I was at episode one where Jordan Grace pinned him in a tag team match, so that's where this goes. Hey, continuity, guys, look at that. Orange Cassidy and Jordan Grace uh, do the Orange Cassidy shtick, uh, where his hands are in his pockets, he won't take his sunglasses off, that whole thing. But the match does go on uh, for a good chunk of time. Jordan Grace looks like a total machine against Orange Cassidy. And Orange Cassidy barely gets one over on Grace uh, to keep his title. Uh, I believe this was his 14th defense in like a 130-day span. Uh, he got the title in uh, at, on New Year's against Tracy Williams, who defended the title 17 times in like a 300-day span. So Cassidy's trying to break the record in basically half the time, or at least in two-thirds of the time, uh, which is interesting, uh, considering Orange Cassidy is super over with the crowd. He can do no wrong at this point. And Jordan Grace looked fantastic. She is improving by the day, and she looks like a million dollars. She looks like she can bench-press your house and then uh, just look like a bombshell in a dress at the same time. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing to watch her grow in the ring. And uh, we're highlighted uh, in our main event of the night, Ricky Shane Page uh, against Eric Ryan in a death match. Just a bloody, just a bloodbath of a thing. Uh, at one point, Eric Ryan shoves a freaking syringe through Ricky Shane's uh, mouth for some reason. Um, but it's it's just a spot death match at heart. Uh, RSP gets the win in the end. He cuts just a death, you know, he cuts his... Thank you, fans. Promo at the end. Thank you, Beyond Wrestling. It was nice to hear. Uh, I did like the uh, Denver, Colorado's promo before the show hole started uh, about Beyond Wrestling going over ten years. How it's been a rough ride, had its ups and downs. How he had to take out he had to take out a loan of a bunch of money uh, just to even get to American Rana last year in 2018, and where the promotion is today. Uh, cool stuff. Definitely go check that out. And then we're on to episode 7, where this was just a lot of matches. Uh, we get Bear Country taking on the Butcher and the Blade. Bear Country wins. Uh, look awesome. I, lo I fucking love this tag team. I want to see more of them every week. Uh, they're very over. Uh, we get uh, returning Jay Freddy uh, defeating Alex Reynolds. And this is interesting because Alex Reynolds and John Silver of the Beaver Boys have been having issues, right? And uh, that all stemmed from John Silver leaving Reynolds in a tag match a couple weeks back, and then didn't sh and then Silver didn't show up for the tag match at Lethal Lottery, so. Reynolds losing here is interesting, and I like how Jay Freddy gets a win, and he's, he's, he was in the, uh, 
Was he in the Discovery Gauntlet? I know he had a really good uh, match against Brandon Thurston to show off the the veterans of the indie scene. Regardless, uh, Chuck O'Neill, um, he defeats Rory Gulak. Uh, Chuck O'Neill is fucking awesome. I love what he's doing. He's trying to make Beyond legit again. He's turning his back to the audience. Cut, cuts a real douchebag promo. Everyone's booing him out of the building. Turns his back on the end and just looks in a camera and he has this smile on his face with his goofy front teeth. It's it's quite hilarious. He's he he dresses up like a martial artist. <laughs> he. But yeah, he, he wins. Chuck O'Neill continues his little streak. Uh, Chris Dickinson. Uh, this week of his badassery, he's taking on Eddie Kingston, Mr. New York badass himself. Uh, Kingston's moving real slow in the ring these days, but he still comes across as a beast. Uh, Dickinson beats him. Uh, Discovery Gauntlet is mid-show in this one, not at the top of the show. Uh, Thomas Santel wins yet again. Ovaltine Dream in the house. Taking on Juan Francisco de Coronado. The Ecuadorian rich dude, pompous guy. Uh, match was okay. I, I liked uh, the previous week's Discovery Gauntlet much more. Uh, Santel is back for yet another episode. I can say that in episode 8 he was a pleasure to see live. Uh, and those that don't know, Thomas Santel was actually in WWE for a year as a member of the tag team Heartthrobs, and he's been all over the indie scene over the past 20 years, 19 years. So regardless if you've never heard of the name Thomas Santel, odds are you might have seen him at some point of your wrestling fandom if you've been a fan since uh, of a promotion during X times. It's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, Solo Darling defeats Shaza McKenzie, Aus- Australia's own, by the way. But Solo Darling is crazy over. Uh, if it's not Chris Stotlander in Beyond Wrestling, number two babyface is Solo Darling of the women. Solo Darling is probably a top five Beyond Wrestling babyface right now. She so she shows up week in and week out. She wins all of her matches. Uh, everyone likes her. She has a very unique look to her. Uh, she's pretty decent in the ring. Uh, good gimmick to her with the whole, she's taller than a stack of pancakes, leaner than a pint of ice cream kind of deal. Uh, loves, love watching Solo Darling. I love that she's using the Texas Cloverleaf finisher or a modified version at least. Uh, it's pretty cool. John Silver this time defeats Brandon Thurston. So much like how Jay Freddy defeated the Reynolds, uh, John Silver, the current CZW champion, by the way, which I still find hard to believe. Uh, after the match, Reynolds comes out and wants to be bros. He's like, I'm sorry. Uh, he lost his match, by the way, must add. So he goes, we're better as a tag team. We're the tag team aces. Let's get back to together. John Silver accepts his bro, bro's apology. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens here and in the future. Then we get our main event, David Starr, uh, taking on Josh Briggs. Important to know at the top of the show, David Starr tries to cut a promo about how no one's, uh, no one invited him to lethal lottery. No one wants him at American Rana, Mr. American Rana. Josh Briggs comes out and he's all pissed off because 
at uh, Treasure Hunt, David Starr cost Josh, Josh Briggs his winning streak because he, he hadn't lost in like eight months or something before his hip injury. Well, Briggs wants his win back over David Starr. Well, Josh Briggs does not get his win back. David Starr defeats him. And uh, so the woes of Josh Briggs continues. He's now lost his last two matches after his squash of VSK at Lethal Lottery. What is happening with Josh Briggs here? I love Josh Briggs, and I'm very curious to see where the character goes with Briggs from here. I do like him on commentary. I do like uh, Anthony Green on commentary. I don't like whoever the dude was for this episode. Uh, he, he was always about trying to insult Stick rather than contribute anything to the cast. It was, it was very odd throughout the whole time. So, uh, of the stars that are in Uncharted Territory, Bear Country... The Beaver Boys, Briggs, Dickinson, Chuck O'Neill. I love what he's doing. Uh, you have Solo Darling, Orange Cassidy, uh, Chris Stotlander. So you got like nine people there. And that's not even counting uh, David Starr, who's there on select dates. Uh, Joey Janela. Uh, you have a, a very solid roster, right? Uh, the intergender wrestling definitely brings something more to the table, uh, gives it more of a roundhouse look, uh, and only having the independent title gives some, gives everyone something to shoot for, and that brings a lot of title defenses to the case. Uh, what the roster is going to look like with AEW starting so much of their their bigger talents uh, being in progress, being in AEW. What it comes, what what the Beyond Wrestling roster is going to look like in the fall is going to be very interesting. Upon the end of Uncharted Territory, whether we get a season two, or or whatever it may be, um, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm very curious to see, but uh, I can't wait to tell you guys how I experienced uh, episode eight live, and I'll be going to episode ten live as well, uh, coming up here in a couple weeks. So that's Uncharted Territory. A uh, couple good episodes, easy, very easy to watch and get through. Um, two and a half hours a week, two two and a half hours. It's, it's not as easily, uh, easily intake. You can't easily intake it as you would MLW. I would say, um, but even if you pick and choose matches based on what I'm telling you guys here, uh, at the very least, the opening matches, the Discovery Gauntlet, and the main events are always very. Uh, consistent and interesting to keep up with. So, um, uh, that's beyond that's beyond uncharted territory. And with that, it's time to move on to uh, me and JPQ talking a very long time over Stardom and Best of Super Juniors Week One, days one through six. When we come back, it'll be time for WCW. You blocked me on Facebook, and now you're going to die. And welcome back, JD here as usual, and fucking finally, my friend from New York that we happen to meet, he lives in Philly, his name is JPQ from the No Particular Angle podcast, and I guess former host of The Card, which I enjoyed a lot, but I must have been 
<sighs> oh, well. Anyways, JBQ, you are here to join me talking stardom over uh, Golden Week over there uh, and New Japan's first week of the Best of the Super Juniors Tournament of 2019. How you doing? I'm doing well, man, and thank you for having me on. And you're right, it is long overdue, especially after being in New York and seeing Stardom live. You know, we uh, we just gotta get those calendars to sync. But uh, we're here now, and we have a tremendous amount of of wrestling happening over in Japan, uh, both in Stardom and with the Best of Super Juniors tournament. Um, I appreciate you bringing me on. It's a long time coming, um, especially since this cast uh, has been going on for over a year now. Redleaf Retrocast going on for over two and a half years. So we're plugging we're plugging and chugging away. Uh, if you're just joining us in, thank you for joining us. I, I do recommend uh, checking out the weekly wrestling recap we covered earlier with MLW and Beyond Wrestling, local promotion here in New England that I had discovered since moving here. And, uh, of course, my experience with Money in the Bank, which was an interesting time with uh, some friends from Connecticut. But we're here talking... The Japanese wrestling. You're a big fan of stardom. I'm a big fan of stardom. We have our rivalry between two rivalry or uh, two characters going on over there, Saki and Natsu, and I'm looking forward to talking about that in particular because <laughs> it's continuing. I'm so excited. <laughs> it is, but any, yeah, uh, I just that that it, it to take something that's so simple as a as a entrance song and turn it into what they have. God bless stardom. <laughs> so, uh, for those that don't know what Golden Week is, it is a, a special week where everyone in Japan gets the whole week off. It's a big party week. And what Stardom did is each faction within Stardom puts on a show of their own. So they have a ridiculous theme, uh, and then they have a ridiculous tournament of some kind, or a match. And uh, each member of the faction, whether it's a trios match, a tag match, a singles match... Uh, will have an opponent essentially of their choosing or something along that line. So we got some ridiculous themes this year. Uh, there was a costume change battle royal where members of Stardom would come out dressed like someone else. Um, for example, uh, Kagetsu came out dressed as uh, Arisa Hoshiki, <laughs> which was really funny. And she even and they 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 don't just dress as them; they mimic their moves and mannerisms as well. So it was really funny. There, there was a blind sword fight. There was a Jonkin tournament, Paper, Rock, Scissors, uh, in which Tokyo Cyber Squad won it all. <laughs> what was your favorite um, crazy, ridiculous theme match I th that we saw? I think it had to be the costume battle royal, um, only because of what you just said, which is the, it's not good enough to come out uh, dressed to the nines in in some other wrestler's gear but then on top of that i'm just going to do everything they do and i'm just going to do the impressions the in and so you're watching you know you're watching <laughs> momo come out uh dressed as tony storm doing tony storm for the entire match yeah like like things like <laughs> that just they don't happen in uh, stateside right and so when you when you can get these and you can get a rock paper scissor or you have tcs uh opening the show dressed as uh buzz lightyear and the and the and the aliens and and jungles underneath a box 
And <laughs> you could tell she's terribly <laughs> uncomfortable at the beginning of a show. And they just do this. She did win the tournament, she too. Won the she tournament? did. She is Jonkin champion. She is. And it's, it's like. Jonkin pull. Jonkin pull. <laughs> and so, it's like, but to, to be able to celebrate that every single show this week, it just, it just shows you, you know, that not everything has to be hardcore. Not everything has to be in-ring work. You know, you can bring levity to to wrestling, and I just don't think anybody is as fun to watch uh, night in and night out uh, as Stardom is. They're the most consistent at it. Uh, I see Ice Ribbon do a bunch of goofy stuff at the beginning of their shows all the time, such as uh, Sukasa Fuji- Fujimoto facing off against the giant panda bear and <laughs> doing <laughs> suplexes and stuff or trying to, putting it. Putting a giant guy in a panda bear outs, uh, outfit in a in an armbar that that's really funny, but but yeah, it is a celebration of what wrestling is capable of. And uh, my favorite is the Jonkin tournament, and uh, I I learned a little bit more about Japanese culture, for sure, with how they go about doing paper rock scissors. You know, we would just go do rock paper scissors shoot or whatever that may be. They have a whole system to it. If someone ties, then they have to shoot real fast to the next one they they their manner, mannerisms of hiding their hands and do you know almost like they're pulling a gun out of a holster it's pretty funny uh but uh my mvp of the of the costume and all of this uh goofy theme was tony storm coming out as minoru suzuki <laughs> <laughs> during the paper rock scissors tournament really funny stuff uh, she stayed in character. She's stomping her name onto the bracket. <laughs> she's pointing at at the uh, at her opponents like she's gonna kick the shit out of them. It's really funny. I, I was really hoping that some of the 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 classmates on the outside, the the schoolmates that they have, um, that that line the outside that watch. I was really hoping that she was going to attack them like young lions. You know, like I was waiting for her to get out and just start, <laughs> you know, causing havoc. Um, that would have been, that would have taken me over the <laughs> edge and level, hy- right? <laughs> hysterical. Yeah. She didn't do that though. She, she um, not. well, she did chase after, I think, uh, jungle, uh, took her out of the tournament. Yes. Memory serves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And then she chased, chased after her and jungle in the box or at least having the box. She kind of crawled away really fast. <laughs> like snuck away around. Yeah. Excuse me. As I take a sip of this awesome scotch, I. Have just for this occasion. Oh, nice. Mm. Ah. Nothing like a sore throat from a week of wrestling. Topping it off with scotch. It'll kill something that's in that's there. That's right. All right. So, uh, I wrote down the four, the four faction shows and kind of my takeaway match or what happened during each show. It took a long time to go to sift through them all too. Mm-hmm. It was not an easy, easy feat, especially with my new job that I've been doing, uh, working, you know, anywhere from nine to 12 hour days and then trying to fit in super strong style. 16 dragon gate best of the super juniors is nonsense with freaking at least two hours every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sleep's not coming by. Uh, so before I go into that, I actually do have a question for you, JP. How are you fitting in all this wrestling? I'm not, you know. I'm, nah. <laughs> like, okay. I no, I'm fine. I'm finding bits and pieces. Um, I haven't yet to this week, last couple weeks, be able to sit down and watch a full show. Uh, so it really it, the the opportunity to be able to stream and then pick up where I left off on my last tab 
it has been extremely beneficial to me the last couple of weeks with regards to as much wrestling. Uh, it's why I, I gravitate to stardom so much because they isolate their matches. Um, they isolate their shows and they'll feed it to you over the course of the week. So, so you don't have to sit and keep a browser up to know where you left off. You can, you can watch a, a quick 15 minute match Right, and then you can go to the next one the next day, and they put out so much content that you need that you can't just sit down and watch because you theoretically this this past week you could have watched what like ten consecutive hours uh, of stardom if if you watched it from the end. Um, but yeah, it's it's time management through and through on my side. The same thing, man. Twelve hour days, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, you know, baby just had his first birthday, so we had the parties and all that type of stuff leading in. Where do you find the time? And it's late hours. It's early mornings, you know, <laughs> and it's getting him into wrestling. So <laughs> that's been beneficial. He likes stardom. He likes the fun colors in the morning. Oh, I don't, I don't blame him there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I'm having a tough time, but uh, I, I, I think I've pushed off Strong Style 16, True Colors from WXW. You know me, I'm a, I'm a huge VXV fan, huge. WXW. And that's been on the back burner just because I know if I get behind with something like Boss J, I'll never catch up. Right. Uh, so, um, as I mentioned at the at the top of the top of the cast, I'm sorry. Strong Style 16 and True Colors are postponed for a European focused and Dragon Gate. It'll be in there too in the next episode. Sorry, it's now being delayed yet again. But I I am covering all of the indies. That are notable. <laughs> so anyways, back to stardom. Golden week. We're coming off the heels of the draft in the Cinderella tournament. The draft saw us just bask in the glory that is the new faction run by Hanakimura of Tokyo Cyber Squad. What do you think of this name, JPQ? I, I'm a huge fan of it. Huge fan. I didn't know what the, I thought they were going with International Army. I thought it was going to have that type of feel to it. And the fact they came out with something like Tokyo uh, Cyber Squad uh, <laughs> is something I I adore. Um, there's been theories going around on why they why they're calling it uh, Tokyo Cyber Squad. If you heard this, let me know. Um, it, I, I don't know the person's name. I, I can't give credit, but they're breaking down words in in, J- in Japanese. So I'm sure other people figured it out as well. But apparently, like Tokyo Cyber Squad is supposed to be like Japan present, right? Like. Uh, uh, the police force present a lot of neon, a lot of colors, kind of a mm. more of like a military kind of uh, uh, force in a sense, right? Like a little bit more uniformity to the group. Um, where Oedo Tai tends to be a little bit like the past. So, th- so that word or that uh, uh, phrase uh, derives from uh, an older type of um, uh, officer syndicate, right? Or an older type of uh, law enforcement. And so now you have the old versus the new Oedo Tai versus uh, Tokyo Cyber Squad, and then you and then you look at Hana versus Kagetsu and that history there, and you're like, okay, well I can see these parallels, you know. Right. <laughs> so you add that wrinkle into the fact that you know Jungle Konami, uh, uh, yeah, Rebel <clears throat> Kel, um, Death now, and and Hana Kimura. Like, what can we talk about Yonayama and just becoming essentially this Kiss Incarnate character? <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. That is one way to put it. <laughs> She's just out there, just doing the whole kiss rocker, and they just they everyone just yells, "Dad!" <laughs> and she committed to that because they didn't lead into that at all. 
you know. No, I I was just all of a sudden. I think it was. I think we first saw her at the Tokyo Cyber Squad uh, produce. Yeah, and she just shows up. I'm like, is that who I think it is? What is happening? <laughs> just right in their pre-match promo, she's just there, and everyone just goes death. I'm like, what? 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 Did I? Did I miss something? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you do feel a little behind when you watch Stardom World every once in a while. Yeah. It's like they just do this spot. And you're like, wait, but th- th- I didn't get the I didn't get the newsletter. Yeah. So before we get into the matches, I do want to mention that Jungle we saw Jungle Kiona f- <laughs> attempt to fly at the uh, Cyber Squad <laughs> produce, trying to get one of the gimmick matches. Uh, there was a cash prize hanging like an Ultimate X, but you couldn't actually tether on anything you just had to like get on someone's shoulders or or uh leap from the turnbuckle as jungle kiona did and she got some height she got some length but it was still short and it was the funniest thing i've seen and she took a bump (laughs) she committed man like she she that was um that was as full layout as you could possibly do. And <laughs> she looks bigger on TV. I saw her in person. She's smaller than, than we give her credit for, right? But Well, it's when you're comparing yeah, her right. to all the other. Mm-hmm. Like, when Tony Storm gets in the ring with them, she is big. Yeah, she is right? huge looking. When, when, uh, when uh, Kelly Klein was over in stardom, uh, which, by the way, five-star Grand Prix, she put in a good showing. She did. Uh Stardom really knew how to work with her and to her strengths, and then when you see her working with Women of Honor, or at, as we saw at the G1 Supercard against even Mayu, when all of a sudden it's working this Ring of Honor style, it doesn't work. Mm-mm. It's very it's very interesting how the parallels go there. Uh, but anyways, let's get on to the matches before we ramble, ramble on, and how great and amazing Stardom is. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> We're starting off with the Stars Faction Produce. Uh, my highlight here is the Tony Storm Challenge. She's been doing this. She's back in stardom uh, for a little while here. And she's just laid out singles matches, right, against a member of each faction. Uh, who's going to face her? She's a former champion. A big deal. She got her start, essentially, in stardom. Uh, yeah, there's the surgence in Aussie women wrestling. Uh, but as we know, Australia is... Kind of isolated from the rest of the world in a lot of ways, especially from wrestling, wrestling perspective, which I'm trying to get more into just to educate myself because I was put on Riot City Wrestling, for example, Mm -hmm. free on YouTube. They put all their shows on there. I do recommend it if you want to get into Australian wrestling at all. But Tony Storm uh, laying out the Tony Storm's challenge for stars. She's against Tom Nakano. Tam time. Here we go. We haven't seen Tam Time in a while. It's Tam Time. And uh, after the Cinderella tournament, Tam versus Kagetsu, uh, going go into that draw, and then Nakano here, uh, the veteran, <laughs> only, what what is she, 28? The vet? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the deathmatch wrestler, <laughs> going up against uh, Tony Storm, and uh, good match. That was my highlight of, of Star's Produce. Yeah. I, what about you? What agree with the match? Any other? Uh, I do. You wanna... Yeah. So definitely the match of the night was um, uh, Storm versus. Um, did you say Nakano? How did you say that? Nakano. Nakano. So yeah. Again, my, my pronunciations are awful uh, because uh, to me she's always <laughs> going to be Tam um, Nakano, um, but I'm wrong. Uh, Nakano and 
Gotta listen to those announcers. I, I, I never do. <laughs> That's why you always call me Got out to. on it. Uh, which is for, perfectly fine because I'd, I'd rather learn. Um, so that was great. Um, that that was the match of the night for sure. Um, the fact that and – and I appreciate that they gave it to Tam. Like I, I, I like – obviously Mayu wasn't ready to come back for that type of match yet. Um, well, she's the hospital girl right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that knee <laughs> we'll is – We'll get there. Yeah, right. <laughs> keeping keeping her sidelined a little bit, but uh, you know they could have they I, so it makes sense that it was Tam. Um, but man, I just think that people forget how good that she is when she's in a single stretch. She's had good matches against uh, Kagetsu. She's had strong matches against Momo. Uh, she's very consistent, and to put her in that position um, was great for me. And then um, knowing that Hoshiki, uh, there was elimination eight uh, woman tag match. Hoshiki uh, Kashima. Asaya Aida and Starlight Kid versus Queen's Quest B, uh, Hina, um, Onazaki, and, and Momo. Um, good, strong eight person. They do those elimination matches very well in Stardom. And I just thought that with such a young side with Sai, uh, Asaya Aida and, and Starlight Kid and then Hoshiki, they're kind of setting up, you know, um, the future with her after winning the Cinderella tournament. To, I mean, you're in there against B and you're in there against Momo. And I thought it was a strong showing for her. And uh, that that would be one and one A for me. So that was if you haven't watched, if you're going to watch two of those matches, you know those are the two you want to watch. And then the costume battle royal is just fun. <laughs> that was a good time, mm-hmm. good main event. I do like how even though it was a costume battle royal, they kind of slipped in some rivalries in there. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite moments was uh, Natsu Sumire coming out <laughs> dressed as Saki Kashima. <laughs> that would be your favorite, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, that was fucking funny, and and and, <laughs> and Saki just immediately throws the only person, by the way, because mostly it was just waiting for everyone to come mm-hmm. out. But that one time, it was like, no, you've you've crossed the line, Natsu. How dare you? And chucks her you can't out. Can't be the emblem, just immediately man. Elim- <laughs> immediately into uh, eliminate. I can't even speak. <sighs> Too much scotch, I guess. No, not <laughs> enough scotch. Never enough. Hold scotch. on. How dare you? Mm. I, I, so to that point. Um, and Saki versus uh, Natsu, how how good – you talk about comedy wrestling uh, it, it, just in general. And it's like, who you know, we know what um, uh, Natsu can do. She's been doing it for a long time. But even – Saki as well. Yeah, but, man, this dynamic this time around, they're just clicking. You know, sometimes it doesn't click, in the, although they're, they have a good pre- a pedigree of it. But, man, the last few weeks, have they just been hitting so, so damn well on, on, yeah, that's on their for, chemistry. Let's say – Let's save that for the yeah, Oedo Tech uh, produce. But, but uh, just to just to feed off that, uh, when you have wrestlers of different styles and different characters, uh, that contrast between them, there it always something always seems to click. Uh, rather than you have <clears throat> two technical wrestlers, let's say, and two serious characters go up against each other. Uh, sorry for those that you know uh, Benoit. You know, uh, hits a hits a sour point, but like if you saw a Benoit Dean Malenko match, two people that had, especially in WCW days, very uh, technical ground based work, right, mm-hmm. mixed with serious characters, you're kind of bored during the match. The match is good, but you just don't feel it, right? Nothing clicks. Right. Uh, a more recent example would be Dean Ambrose against Seth Rollins, right? Right. In WWE. You'd think that'd be a good match, and yeah, it's a good match, but 
something just doesn't seem to click with the audience because they're just it's almost like they're just going through their motions rather than something happening not just with the ring story but also extends beyond that and that's what Natsu and Saki are currently doing but moving on uh we'll get to the Oedo tie produce which was probably my favorite night easily yeah, totally uh but the best match out of all all of Golden Week is what we experienced at the Queen's Quest produce and I'm jumping right into the Wonder Title match. Storm, uh, no, I'm sorry. B. Priestley wins the red belt against Kagetsu. Now officially Top Gaijin. Top Gaijin. I love the moniker where she's throwing in Japanese sentences, phrases. She's clearly <clears throat> doing her best. Whether it's the language barrier, she's doing her best with the cultural barrier, which is a lot harder than people realize, uh, especially Westerners and Americans, for sure. Uh, and a lot of backlash came from this title win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Storm Storm, and Momo had a match, but I want to save that because the B Priestley win is very big news. And I want your take, JPQ. I, I like it, to be honest with you. I think that... Um, I think it works on two levels. Number one, I was, okay, so let me back up a little bit. I was, I was terribly surprised when it happened. Um, did not think. I wasn't expecting yeah, it. Yeah, certainly wasn't expecting it. Uh, good spot for B. Uh, I thought, you know, Kigetsu's been on this run. I, I thought, you know, with, it would be Momo or, uh, because they had the no contest a few months ago. That, that would ultimately take the red belt off of her, kind of seeing where it all goes. And so for them to go within Queen's Quest, it just didn't mm-hmm. make sense to me if it wasn't Utami or if it wasn't Momo to take the title. So nice swerve, good booking, right? Kept me on my toes. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I, I appreciate uh, the booking efforts there. Well, just to interrupt you for a second with that thought, uh, we, we, we know people in various discords, uh, fellow stardom fans, mm-hmm. uh, even people, even, even throughout the words on Twitter, Twitter, uh, Twitter universe, you might say, uh, B Priestley doesn't come to mind first with Queen's Quest, but as I explained to someone I'm trying to get into stardom, uh, Jay from the Smack It Down podcast, I go, Queen's Quest isn't a, ba- isn't like most factions. It's a heel group, but they're serious and they're all individual people running, gunning for a title. Right. And they support their fellow faction members in gunning for a title, no matter what the title is. And even if they have to put a title up against their fellow faction members, they won't be afraid to do that. That is the mentality of the faction. So B Priestley winning is a swerve, but it fits the character of not only the group, but how she fits into the group and everyone, how everyone else fits in. Like Momo already has a belt. Utami has all of the other belts. (laughs) (laughs) Azumi uh, currently doesn't have any, um, but she's trying to go for whether it's the high-speed belt or whatever that might might be, right? Yep. So uh, now that I've done interrupting you, now you can continue. Right. No, but I think that's an important part, right? Because Queen's Quest is like the Yankees, right? It's an all-star lineup, and there's a commonality of we're all top tier, right? Whether it be top Gaijin or, or the ace in Momo or the future right. in, in uh, Utami or... Uh, you know the uh, you know everybody's you know everybody's little sister in AZM. Like there, when when you're in Queen's Quest, you're expected to perform at a high level. So um, you do know why it's AZM, right? 
I said because it's a zoomie, but apparently that's wrong. No, I don't. What's up? So, the way uh, you pronounce the letters A Z M mm-hmm. in Japanese is A ah, Zu and Mi. So that's how that works out. Okay. Well, yeah. So I'm not saying it wrong. No, no, but it, you can you can do both ways. Interesting. Yeah, I like A Z M. I like I mean again J P Q. You know what I mean? Like I like I like the initials. Sure. Um, oh yeah, J J D right yeah, here. Right, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> so it, it's easier. Um, but no, so so you have them, and and you're right. The, you know, you you're expected to to work at a top tier, uh, high level, uh, competitive matches, and you can go against anybody, and you're expected to, right? And you're expected to go get titles. Uh, so I agree with all of that. So to see B in this match against Kagetsu, to me, it was very like okay, good. You know, it's 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 the night for Queen's Quest, and you know they're not going to burn Momo here. Um, Momo got Tony, and that's all well and good. Um, who else? What you're not going to use anybody else? Um, they're going to save AZM, obviously, with the Kagetsu thing going on with the narrative there, right? So B made <laughs> B made sense to me. That is an underrated ongoing story. Oh my god, story. that's the greatest. That's, again, it's these little it's these little storylines all throughout. I don't understand the obsession, but I love I it. I don't know, but she wants her own way to Tyler. And AZM, poor AZM, is just so scared. It's like she doesn't want anything to do with them. Um, but so then B made sense from a booking side, and then so for her to get the wins a lot. What I like about it, what I like about it from the booking side, is that you know there is some heat with B in Japan because of her finisher that she's been using and for stardom and for Rossi to double down on that and give her the title with that move. Like God bless them for ocean psycho, uh, ocean cyclone suplex. Yeah. Even Manami, even Manami Toyota herself uh, said it's disrespectful to use the move. And this is also an older story. It's, 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 uh, it's an, it's a couple things. It's cultural. And then it's also respect, right? right? Manami Toyota is one of the best wrestlers that has ever graced the ring. Period. Right? Period. And she passed that move, that particular move down to two people and two people alone. Uh, the one I've watched the most is Tsukasa Fujimoto. The ace of Ice Ribbon. Right? Mm-hmm. And good God, if AEW get her in a match, everyone's going to know how amazing she is they're going to eventually i mean they're pretty much working with the entire roster there's a lot of ice ribbon history with uh aew right now so um for b Priestley to be using the ocean cyclone suplex uh i think it speaks to her generation where uh they're the idea of using a move I can I can I can totally see in B Parisi's mind that she's paying homage. She's respecting how good this move is by using it as her finisher and who Minami Toyota is and what she represents in Japan and women's wrestling in general. Like I I, I get the the purpose of it all. But I also get where the backlash is is it's disrespectful to the person that that she wants this move to be with her people, her chosen people. Right, and no one else. Plus, it's a dangerous fucking move. Oh my god! It, I mean, it, it looks great, but the, it takes both people to pull that type of move off for sure. Yeah, it takes core strength from the person on top. Mm-hmm. And for those that don't know what the ocean cycle and suplex is, it's basically a straight jacket into an electric chair drop, and then you go backwards. Yep. 
into essentially a straitjacket German suplex, but they're still on the shoulders. Which means you're blind. So, which is your, yeah, you're totally blind to it all. So the person on bottom has to, person on top and bottom, both have to have the necessary core strength and balance to put this move off slow and both people land on their back. Otherwise, one or both could just go, just neck themselves really hard. Totally. And we've seen, and I think uh, that's why part of the reason it was passed down in such that way is because it is a dangerous move. It's not an easy move to pull off. Um, and so to be taught it the right way and, and you know, that, that all plays into not just the culture side, but then, you know, making sure that you when you're working in there, you're working safely. Yeah. But move aside, B. Priestley winning uh, the Wonder of Stardom title, the Red Belt. Uh, it's a new era, essentially. Kagetsu is is a is a longstanding veteran of of just Josie wrestling in general at this point. Uh, B. Priestley, um, now committing fully to Japan. She's now, uh, she, I, I believe, she's officially moving there in a couple weeks mm-hmm. with Will Osprey. Uh, they're. They're 100% in, and for her to make this commitment and then Stardom be totally behind her with that same commitment, uh, Stardom's created a new star, which they're doing. Hazuki uh, is on the up-and-up, Konami on the up-and-up, and then you have at the top B Priestley, Momo, the list goes on, because they don't have Tony Storm nope. on a regular basis. They don't have Yoshirai, Kairi Hojo. They don't have. A, they don't have their their. Mayu Iwatani is injured a lot lately. Yeah. So they've lost their top draws, right? So they have to create these new stars, and I think B Priestley is a phenomenal choice. She's definitely put in the work. She her her game is improving immensely. Uh, in my opinion, this is the best B Priestley match I've I've seen to date. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I uh, and I think I think a lot of that has to do with Kagetsu too. Like I think she really does know how to oh, sure. you know, make make people look good, what you'd expect out of a ten year veteran. Um, but so to that point, to all those points, um, one well, Miz is over ten years, <laughs> but we see what he does. In yeah, the right. <laughs> <laughs> Take the J, man, shoot or shoot, and oh, boy. It, it's one of those things where uh, it be to me. Um, I was always more of a Jamie Hater guy. Uh, oh, I love Jamie. Yeah, Hager. I'm with you. Continue. Yeah, so <laughs> it's one of those things where B, you know, she's a little taller, and there's something about length um, that that can that for me kind of draws me away from the moves that are being done, and it it has really taken me uh, about six months of paying attention to B uh, through Eve and some UK stuff because UK is not my strongest. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's one that I have to cut out due to time and. You know, and then when she's she's worked over in stardom to really kind of grasp and gravitate towards towards what she does really, really well. And I'm starting to see that more the more I watch her, that her style isn't I don't want to say it's unconventional, but I think because of the way, you know, I don't want to say like her body is, but like her height with her move set, you know, it, it shouldn't fl- it looks a little awkward, right? Like you watch you mentioned Dean Malenko earlier, like you watch Dean Malenko, he's compacted, he's a mat wrestler, he's a chain wrestler, and, and you expect him to go out there and and, and work. Uh, when it comes to B, to me, it always seemed like she was like a fish out of water almost when she was wrestling. 
Um, I didn't get the fluidity that I was expecting uh, that I would get from somebody with her length, maybe a little bit more power, and it's not as much power as you'd think that she would have. Um, you know, but the more I watch her, the more I'm kind of I'm gelling with her as a fan, and I think that she's an acquired taste. But once once you have a taste for it, you know, she she's someone that then really stands out to you. Yeah. No, it's funny you mention that because uh, I was first exposed to B Priestley over in uh, WCPW mm-hmm. uh, when she was having a rivalry against Nixon Newell, now known as Tegan Knox, uh, the Bionic Knees. Uh, she was immediately put into the spotlight as a top uh, women's wrestler in the UK, right? And UK and women's wrestling in Europe in general uh, has a a long way to come, right? They just don't have the trainers, specifically women trainers. Uh, Very good interview with Melanie Gray over in Germany where she has essentially started Central and Eastern European women's wrestling because there's just no one there, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So women's wrestling in Europe has come a long way at a very fast rate. And B. Priestley and Nixon Newell, I will I will point these two out specifically, is they have a certain style, and it's a European style. And a lot of people don't realize what that style entails until they face someone else out of that element, right? Right. Uh, a good example of the past is Dynamite Kid, uh, British Bulldog, um, Doug Williams, all those... Uh, 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 Magnus, uh, what's his, what's his name these days? <laughs> oh, um, uh, <laughs> it's Nick Aldis. You. Nick Aldis, uh, when, when all these wrestlers, uh, from, from Europe come over, they, they have this catch, what, what you call catch wrestling style. It's a lot of leg trips. It's a lot of, uh, hamstring grabs, a lot of limb work, you know, an old school type thing. So B Priestley tried to, I could see this in her game. She tried to bring something different to the table, right? Mm-hmm. So then when she made her, her stardom appearances, she is that fish out of water. Because stardom is more about work rate. It's almost like the ring of honor of Japan, sure. right? From from a women's wrestling perspective. It's all about work rate. They have stories. They have... And the, and then they have the, the Japanese strong style mixed in. Uh, lots of kicks to the back. Chops to the, to the breast and chest. Etc. So, B had a lot to learn with adjusting to new styles, which she had never had to do before. Because everyone in Europe has the same style, right? Right. Uh, unless you're from Scotland, then that's a different story. <laughs> they Scotland and Ireland have their own thing going on. It's pretty interesting. So, B Priestley getting the red belt, putting in the match of her life, uh, getting to date her top title, right? And... Her being signed with AEW and still being a, uh, a stardom full-time roster member. She got her jacket, which is an important thing over there uh, culturally. Uh, I see it as two things. Stardom's going into the, their next generation, and they're fully committed, which I love. It makes it great to watch as a fan. And two, she's also in AEW. That's ex- more exposure to stardom. That's more exposure for B Priestley to get better. And it's good for AEW for more Josie talent for crossovers. Yes. So that's actually three. 
Oh, and let's not forget Brandy was in the Cinderella tournament two years ago, and I was hoping that there would be some type of developments coming out of that. That's the only thing that I that's a that's a that's a that's a salient point that you made there about the stardom relationship with B and AEW because that's to me that's the only path for stardom to get into AEW. It was B, right? Um, and I was when the, when the Joshi trio match came together, and I love Ice Ribbon um, from what I've seen of it. And I, I know I've educated myself on the history, and you and Max have done a great job with keeping me up to date with a lot of that as well. Um, for them to be able to to find an avenue to work with stardom uh, was something that I felt was missing. Um, and so when this happened, and and Kagetsu puts over B, um, I'm sitting there like, okay, here's our path. Here's here's our clearing through the woods. Like let's let's work our way back to the states. To, uh, to to establish stardom as a partner of AEW or AEW to be part of the SWA, you know, however, I don't know, two-way street in my, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm hoping that that's the case. I'm hoping that's, that that's where they're headed with it. Uh, but I agree with you. Um, you know, be 23 years old, maybe 24, right, at the oldest. And you got now you got her, yeah. you have Hazuki, you have Arisa. Uh, you know, just as, as your second, your your generals, uh, you know, in, in this. Mm-hmm. And then you have Utami, who's sitting there 20, maybe 21 now, depending on when her birthday is. Uh, not to mention Momo, who just turned 19, who is their ace, you know. So it's like you look at this and you're just... Disgusting. It's just... Ri- I'm disgusted. It's ridiculous <laughs> how, how stacked their, I would call their workers, right? <laughs> uh, their, their, their workers in this... And and you still got Mayu and Tam and Kagetsu and, <coughs> and Natsu and and Jungle and you know and I guess you can even put Hana in that lower tier too. Um, and when I say lower, I'm just oh talking no, she's age. Just... Oh, 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 all right, all right. Hana, Hana Kimura, yeah, she's um, right. She's something. So yeah, she's she's <laughs> she's top tier. She's elite in 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 stardom. Obviously, like she would be ranked with because she's a leader of the faction. She would be ranked above the rest of them. But from an age perspective, yes. she's right there. You know, she's right in the sweet okay. spot with the rest of them. Uh, with, uh, I follow you. Yeah, now. exactly right. Um, so, yeah. So, I was happy that it happened. You're right. There was – so, back to your original question. There was a lot of criticism that came out of Joshi fans um, um, about uh, a, a Gaijin going over for the stardom title. And there was a lot of uh, backlash to, to be winning. And to be honest with you, like I kind of look through the history of stardom, and you always kind of have that Gaijin champion right around this time of year, right? We saw it with Tony Storm last year, and yeah, I was a fact. little surprised, little surprised, so much, uh, so much back, considering how how invested they are into building their stars. You know what I mean? The other strange thing was the crowd reacted very positively. It did seem that way, yeah. So, yeah. I found that strange to see all the backlash online. I mean, we we were uh, copy pasting all the negative Twitter comments. We're like, "Whoa, these are classic!" We were giggling to ourselves. How 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 bad they are. Anyways, now let's move on. Let's let's get going right, here yep. a little bit quicker. Sure. Let's pick up we the can. pace. Otherwise, we'll be here all night talking Star. Hey man, hashtag we won't even get to Boss J. Yeah, right. <laughs> hashtag watch Stardom. Uh, I thought about bringing a hashtag watch Stardom sign to a Beyond Wrestling yes. show, but I in, in, instead instead I brought a Lodi uh, loves my Beyond Wrestling sign, <laughs> which is even better. <laughs> good old Lodi. I got, I got, I got a lot of, I got a lot of good, uh, good feedback for that mm-hmm. one particularly. Anyways, uh, 
Queen's Quest, fa- uh, Jesus, Queen's Quest Produce, Storm versus Momo goes to an amazing draw. Momo almost had it. Momo almost oh. had it. I thought, I, there was no way that she was going to win, but man, did they make me think that she was going to. Like, there is just, there was something about that that just made me feel like uh, that little pop at the end, I, they got me. They uh, There's nothing else I can say about it. They, they absolutely got me. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> this this really rubs me the wrong way with how WWE handles their talent. Uh Tony Storm, I think I think whether Tony Storm is is part of the WWE umbrella or not right now, I think Stardom still thinks very highly of her, and they were going to make this a draw no matter what, right? Right. Uh, what rubs me the wrong way is the B Priestley situation where they were supposed to face each other, and uh, WWE just being very petty uh, doesn't want an AEW person to beat a WWE person, even though it's in stardom, this tiny little promotion in Japan, women's promotion specifically. Uh, it's, it's very petty. Uh, not, not Nonetheless, I, I had to get that out. Storm versus Momo is... Um, is it? No, no, no. Definitely B Priestley, uh, Kagetsu. Uh, but Storm versus Momo is definitely something to go out of your way and watch. It's, a, it's an amazing draw that really takes, takes you... Um, takes you to a different level of how good uh, two people in the ring are against each other. And Tony Storm being who she is, the ace of Europe, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> for women's 100%. wrestling. And then and then Momo, who in my mind, uh, I love Maya Yuki. I love Tsukasa Fujimoto. I like a lot of women's wrestlers in Japan. But in my mind right now, no one in Josie Wrestling is better than Momo Watanabe. Period. Right. So this match, just from my perspective of Ace, Ace in Japan against Ace in Europe, was, was it was draw-worthy, right? Yes. I don't think it could have gone any other way. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, you know, you're right in the sense that B versus Tony, um, silliness with, with WWE. Um, but, but it led to Momo versus Tony, so I'm not that upset because the alternative is probably, for me, that was probably more exciting. Um which then also led to the swerve with with B and, and Kagetsu for the stardom title. So, hey, win-win. Right. Um, but Momo, it, she is so consistent at, at these, you know, not every stardom match is 15 to 20 minutes, right? And I know it was what? It was a 15-minute draw uh, for the Tony Challenge. Mm-hmm. But she's been going out there now for the better part of nine months. And any and everybody that they give her, she is getting top tier quality match layout, match psychology, and 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 work rate out of everybody she's working with. Um, you know, we uh, I talked about this uh, one no particular angle a few months ago before this, and then so then now you've got you know probably the best in in the United Kingdom uh, or Australia, de facto Australia as well. You know, so that's pretty much the only mm-hmm. person coming out of there. Um, you know, and Tony Storm coming in, and then now you have your new ace in Momo. This is a good challenge for her. Like, for me, it's like she's kind of worked her way through. Last time Tony was in uh, stardom last summer, Io was the one that, that was leading Queen's right. Quest. And she's the one that she would battle with Tony back and forth, and they had those two or three matches back and forth for the stardom oh, title. And God, they were Right, good. and so now, you know, again, the, the mentoree becomes – you know, the leader, and how is she going to respond against Tony Storm? Because Standy, uh, Tony Storm last year uh, uh, was the standard bearer in stardom. 
um, as the champion. And and so there's this narrative that I'm, uh, of course, I'm creating in my mind, but I think that it's there and it should be talked about um, leading into this match. And then for them to go out there for 15 minutes and just beat the living hell out of each other and, and to then tease that Momo should have won, again, like, you could make the if case if there was more time. If there was some more, t- right? Exactly. Like they leave it open ended for a rematch down the line. Um, I, d- I do. I do. I have always been a fan of the fifteen minute draw. Yeah, me too. Because uh, you know, you know me, JPQ. I love keeping time of matches. Yes. Yeah, I, I I love, love that it. about you, man. That is my favorite thing. When I got that text from you in New York at Stardom, and I just looked down and it bang, it's just a clock. I'm like, oh hell yeah! <laughs> so excited. <laughs> Uh, I, I I love the idea of draws. I know a lot of wrestling fans don't like it. They don't like DQ finishes either. Uh, I think there's a time and place for it all. And a 15-minute draw is something special, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it harps back to simpler times, for sure. NWA era. Uh, I'm hoping to see... that. Th- this is one of my just hopes in AEW, is to bring back the draw, right? In Western wrestling. Yeah. In North American wrestling. Because... Uh, it does so many things. To me, the 20 minutes is a magic number, right? Yes. I, 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 I am on record many times saying, you reach that 20 minutes, it's magic. Because if you're still in it at 20 minutes, you're just like, bang. You know the last three or four are going to be just lights out awesome. Mm-hmm. It's it's clockwork, literally. Uh, so if you have a 15-minute draw, and you're just you, and then you come out thinking, oh, man. I wish that was longer. I wish it kept going. Bang. There's your 20 to 30 minute match. Your next time out, you have a rematch. It books itself, right? So that's what we got here with Storm and Momo. Yeah, it was a 15 minute banger teaser of of things yeah. to come. And again, if you can accomplish that, again, it speaks to the credibility of everybody involved. And what I and so to your point about the 15 minutes that I like as well is so think back to ring of honor whichever one was right before msg in the like in the 60 minute broadway it's like you can you sense those coming when the matches aren't that great and you have that slog of the this middle third and the first third is really slow like you're never going to get flare steamboat the way you did in the in the past where they would work 60 minute broadways and it was just action for sixty for sixty minutes. You know what I mean. And whether it was just you know chain wrestling or, or mat wrestling or holds <laughs> or whatever rest holds, uh, and the psychology that goes into it, you don't. You, it's a di- it's a different it's booking. a different booking, um, and it's it's just about getting to the last five minutes to set up all the spots at the end. But with fifteen minutes, you know, with fifteen minutes, you really can build from uh, a slow start to a productive middle to a hot finish. And leave the crowd wanting more, you know, after, depending on how you decide to finish it, um, you know, to lead into something else to make money later. And I think they they succeeded on, on every regard with regards to, to, to Momo and Tony this time around. Yeah, you see that you see this still in Japanese wrestling where they uh, they they utilize time <clears throat> as a booking yep. mechanism. Mm-hmm. Right. We saw it with Omega Okada. Uh and you could go all the way back to the 70s and 80s with um, Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid, right? Right. They would use short 10-minute matches as a way to get the match over, get the crowd into it, make them want more, and they'd always hold something back, right? right. Or 
each match would have have a different finish. And when you finally get to the fourth, fifth, sixth encounter, you start going through the previous finishes. And I covered this when I did Dynamite Kid Retro uh, Retro Wrestler Spotlight. Mm-hmm. Right? So, <clears throat> when you have those past finishes, and then you show them in later matches, you go, huh? Because you think it's a possible finisher. Right? right. <clears throat> so, uh, I'm always a fan of non-finishers ending matches. And that's what we see in Stardom. We see that more often than not. Right. It's right. a continuation of a story that's being told. It's not finality right. after one match. Right. It's not just, I hit my finisher, it's over. Right. It's not WWE. It's not Impact. It's it, it's a Western wrestling thing where you hit your finisher, it's over, or you kick out four right. times. You have your five moves, <laughs> and you have your setup for each, and then once you have it, then the match is over. It's like, how many times have we seen yeah. Momo one like a Jamie Hater, who, you know, where she's hit the Peach Sunrise uh, suplex like three times to finish the match because she needed it to hit. She needed to hit it three times. Um, right. But yeah, it, it just adds another element, another wrinkle that I, we're not used to growing up stateside that, that just makes it that much more exciting. That's why I recommend people to at least check out how uh, matches used to be and try to compare it to today. Right. Right? It, it, it does inform you over booking. All right. Oedo Tai, Faction Produce. We're just talking forever. This is going to be a long episode of the <laughs> Well, Retro you knew cast. when we were going to put Stardom on this that, I mean, we might as well just oh, make it no. a Stardom Retrocast at this point. <laughs> we can just keep it's going. A stardom cast. Yeah, Stardom Cast. <laughs> All right. Saki Sumere 2. Uh, rivalry of the, of the year. <laughs> rivalry of the year. I'm sorry. I'm like, I, it's so funny and so into it. Uh, for those that are jo- joining us for the first time or not familiar with this, Saki Kashima and Natsu Sumire. Uh, Saki being uh, part of Stars, Sumire being part of Oedotai. Mm-hmm. Uh, this all started months ago where Saki has this entrance music. Basically this rock and roll idol type thing. Uh, what's it exactly called? So, I'm sure yeah, you Yeah, so know. the song's called Emblem, um, which again is her ring name as well or her, her tagline is uh is uh-huh. emblem and it is from a popular uh i believe if i if i translated correctly through google it, it is a popular um <laughs> theme song for a a anime movie out there in japan that she has now taken for herself what's, what's the anime i called? have no idea I, oh. yeah it, the translator came up like like forest uh, nymph of the jungle or something like that. And I was just like, okay, well, that's not right. <laughs> so I'm not even going to bother to try. But yes, it's the song is called Emblem. Um, I'll send you the link for it because I have now officially made it my ringtone um, because it is the greatest theme song in all of hey, wrestling man. right now. I'm, gl- I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're part of uh, Natsu's uh, idol debut yeah. uh-huh. song. <laughs> right. Yeah, this isn't yeah, uh-huh. over yet. So, yeah. So, um, it all started with Natsu Sumire singing her opponent's entrance music and trying to make it her own. And Saki not having it. She's like, that's irritating me. You know, she didn't, she kind of ignored it the first couple times. And then just one time she just goes in a pre-match interview doing her promo. She goes, uh, I hope she doesn't do it. Otherwise I'm going to kick her ass because I'm sick of it. It's annoying me. And I go, okay, that fits. And then Natsu does her promo she goes, hello, everybody. I'm uh, the new idol. I'm going to debut my new song. 
<laughs> I hope you all enjoy, uh, you know, Dozo. And <laughs> so um, that led to the first encounter where Sumire gets uh, DQ'd after a few uh, ref nut shots, uh, whipping. Uh, ref tries to pull her off. She cracks him in the nuts. Uh, Sumire Natsu is uh, DQ'd. So now cut to the second time, which is where we're at here, and Natsu does it again. And she leads... The, the, the Natsu Sumire, to me, is the best character in stardom. She had, she she isn't the best wrestler in the world. We, we all know that. The fans know it. JPQ, you know uh-huh. it. But goddamn, her character is on point. It's so good. It's so it- good. She... She acts like she's not gonna sing, and then just before any announcement is made over Saki coming out, she rips the mic out of the announcer's hand, and she just rocks on. <laughs> right, and it's never, like, subtle either, which I really appreciate. Natsu literally, she, when she performs this song, or really when she does anything, she's performing to 4,000 people in a venue that holds <laughs> 250 to 300 like she is so animated with the way she does her shtick that it just comes off again it comes off uh exaggerated in the best possible way and and if you're a fan of that type of wrestling or that type of character work she is 100% going to be your favorite person it's utterly fantastic, and this time around, we had Oedo Tai holding Saki back so Sumire could finish the song in its entirety. Which is, it's good, it's a good song. It is a strong song. And as she's doing it, Natsu is literally just cranking on the ring. Like, she's got the mic, and she's dancing around, and she's just, like, the, the uh, what, what do they call it, the... The physical comedy that she put into singing that song oh, yeah. just makes it just that much. And you just see that look on Saki's face. Like, you the first one, remember, <laughs> she turns around like she's walking away and stars had to go get her and bring her back. Like, no, 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 you have to do the match. And she's just pissed. But now this time, now she's forced to watch it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking at my girl Saki like, oh, poor girl. Like, you know, like yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things where I hope she's going to get in there and beat the shit out of her, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I, and I love the promos Natsu does. Um after the song, she just she's like, uh, "Where were I? I don't remember where they were. Shinkiba? No, couldn't. No, they were. Was, they were um, in Shinkiba. They were in Shinkiba. Yeah. She's she <laughs> she's like, thank you, good night. We're over, and she's about to walk the away. Light. They kind of pull her. Yeah, <laughs> the lights go out. <laughs> they they play her uh, entrance music, uh, and then um, they're like, no, you got to do a match. And then she grabs the mic again, uh, looks at Saki. I, I have nothing more to give this audience. <laughs> I've given them everything I've had. And they have their they they inevitably have their match. Uh, it doesn't last very long. But it goes the opposite of what the first one was, where now it's Saki getting all the nut shots on the ref by accident. And then finally we get Natsu pulling the referee. I forget the referee's name. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. She pulls him in front of Saki about to boot her in the vagina, mm-hmm. as as <laughs> not subtly putting it. That's what she, they were aiming to right. kick. She punts the ref, and the ref DQs her this time. And then <laughs> Natsu just goes, you shouldn't have been DQ'd. That was silly of you. How foolish. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, even after the first one, when... when... 
She's hitting her with the bullwhip. And then Zaki gets to the bullwhip, and she's just chasing her around uh, post-match. It's like, I'm sitting here watching this, and it's literally, they just switched the match. And it was pretty much the same match, just reversed, uh, with a little bit of with, with a little bit of a twist. And I'm just like, and, and, and you would think the same match, done the same way, over the strand of what two weeks that that okay now it's time to move on but it's not like it we, we continue this and it all is enveloped around the fact that it nancy just likes the song emblem you know <laughs> yeah. it's such a ridiculous concept but it's so simple that and, and it's done and it's crafted so well with the people that are involved that it just works on every single level of of wrestling yeah, and as Saki said, this isn't this over. isn't over, and I'm glad it's not because <laughs> that's Saki's song. Outside of currently, right now, with multiple matches, outside of Gail Kim Tessa Blanchard, how that rivalry went down in Impact, uh, this is my favorite women's rivalry in 2019 so far. I genuinely look forward to this rubber match, and I retweet. <laughs> When they mention each other in their tweets, I retweet them, although I have no idea what they're even saying, because I'm that excited <laughs> for, for these two to continue this yeah. feud. All right. So just pounding through the rest of these at Oedo Tai uh, Produce. High-speed titles on the line, Hazuki versus Starlight Kid yet again. Mm-hmm. Kind of weird that it came out of nowhere, but Starlight Kid did get a, a pinfall over Hazuki uh, recently. Yep. So, hey, title match. Fair enough. Uh, another five-minute banger. It's about... I love what they do with the high speed title. I was just about to say that. I love it's quick. I, I, I love I love the gimmick. Yep. It's it's the whole idea is to get a quick pinfall. Yes. Considering that this title, I still don't know much about it or its origins. I haven't looked it up, but I'm way into it. It's really quick. It gets to the point. Uh, compare that to other new titles that have been invented in recent memory. <laughs> um, Sorry. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I know, Alexa. It's uh, I agree. Good timing. <laughs> that fits. Good timing. That fits. Yeah. So Hazuki retains. She still hasn't found a uh, rightful opponent to take the belt that she doesn't want. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I like that character. Storm Miyagi had a good match. Great, solid, good, good. Not spot much else for to Miyagi. say there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then a strong tag battle: Kagetsu and Tora versus Kiona and Konami. The uh the future tag champs, uh, goddess of tag tag title champions of uh stardom one hundred percent Tokyo yeah it's gonna it's happen Kiona gonna and happen. Konami one hundred percent. Um, I was a little confused what the stipulation of a strong <coughs> tag battle was. Uh, is it just a tornado tag? Match? I think that's exactly what it is. I can't. I I was trying to piece that together during the match, and it's like, well, they're they're. I mean, they're not really high flyers, the four of them, so you can just get away with calling it strong, you know, <laughs> like a strong match. Yeah, I suppose. But it really, it was just chaos for, you know, and it was a fun chaos. It was a great match. It was an awesome match. Yeah. And then Tokyo Cyber Squad Faction Produce. Yes. We get Storm versus Konami, a good technical match. Konami is, this is what I love about Konami. She's the only pupil of Asuka. Mm-hmm. Asuka's very technical. She's got some. She's got that. She's got still got the Japanese strong style in her. Naturally, we don't, of course, see any of that in WWE <clears throat> anymore. I'm so sour about it, but hey, 
Now I got Konami, so it's, I, you know, whatever. I got her now. <laughs> uh, this new persona of Konami, very more outspoken. Middle fingers this all the time. Yep. She's against Tony Storm. A technical match. You don't see this in Japan yep. with women's wrestling. You don't generally see tech. You know, you got uh, Sendai with the power lifters, Mako Satomura. She's got a more technical background, but it's still more Joshi Strong style, a lot of kicks. Yep. Right, more like Momo. I Absolutely, would say. I'd agree with that. Right, uh, you have Ice Ribbon, Sukasa Fujimoto, just very all around. Same thing with Mayuki, um, uh, Tsukishi. I could go on and on. Yeah. Right. Then we have Konami, a mat-based female wrestler in Japan. Sure, she's got naturally some Japanese strong style to her, like kicks and forearms, but she's all about submissions and technical base. And to see Tony Storm, who's an all-arounder, uh, trained in stardom, very familiar with it, with a technical background, I adored this match. This is, like, right up my alley. When I when I want a match, like, this is it. <laughs> right? When we first started talking, um, stardom, a few months back, you and I, I made mention of the fact that I compare Konami to, she's the Owen Hart of stardom, right? Because she's oh. she can be fun, she can be... Uh, with this new wrinkle with her personality and flipping off everybody, uh, she's on a little more attitude. She's been given some flexibility with with showing some personality. That all works in that narrative. But when it comes to in ring work and it comes to that uh, technical base and it comes to uh, ring awareness and that ring generalship, and you see it early with her. She's twenty two. She's only been doing this for four years now. Um, yeah. And the fact that she goes in there and she is like, all right, I'm going to be different than everybody else, and I'm going to focus on uh you know arm bars and i'm going to to make you i'm gonna i'm going to give you pain for the better part of uh 10 to 15 to 20 minutes it's just every match of hers i just and she does it with no shoes by the way she wears kick bats but she doesn't wear shoes if you pay attention she's wearing shoes now in tcs oh that's right yeah because they changed right right right. i guess yeah i'm thinking of her old outfit um she she, yeah she's got the 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 boots I don't think they're full boots. I think they're half. Yeah, half boot. Yeah, yeah it's the, but it's the it's the comes up the comes up the ankle. Um, yeah, but she's just she's just so good technically, and so when you put her with someone like Tony Storm, who can work with anybody, right? And all around the perfect way of explaining Tony Storm, you, you knew you were in for a treat. And the fact that they gave that spot to Tony because you could have given it to Jungle, you know, you could have given it to Hana, right? Like, but the fact that you gave it to Konami. And you let her go out there and, and, and set the tone for who she is. Because that's what you do with an all-arounder. Like, in all, when, you mess, when you wrestle an all-arounder, the, the idea isn't to, to, to get Tony Storm over. Tony Storm is Tony Storm. We know what she can do. But this is to, sh- to highlight the skill set of the person that's working with Tony Storm. And, and Konami comes out of this looking phenomenal. Uh, with with the type of wrestling that she has and the work rate that she's able to produce at the age that she is, it, this mm-hmm. is going to be a, a a pivot for her and her trajectory up, um, which is was already increasing, but this is now just a sharper incline uh, as we progress through 2019 for Konami. Yeah, I was really I was really pulling for her in the Cinderella tournament. Yeah, me too. Uh. I, I thought she actually deserved it more, but from a booking perspective, as I mentioned in the previous cast, uh, it made sense 
for Arisa to win because she had one match less, she had more stamina, you know, from that perspective. Uh, it does work. Nice story. But I thought Konami was definitely the takeaway of the Cinderella tournament yep. with who she beat, how she beat them, with the new character, and naturally, Triangle Lancer, Chuck Percent. 100%. <laughs> By the way, could you imagine Konami's face if they put her in that blue dress? At the end of the Cinderella tournament, <laughs> just like the straight, like straight face, like you got to be kidding me that I'm doing this right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have lied. I would have that with the price of admission right there. Yeah. All right. Trios match away to tie uh, TCS. TCS goes over. Yep. And what I want to talk about is the post match promo. Let me hear it. So Hanekimura gets on the mic, and Hanekimura used to be in a to tie. The femme fatale, you might say. Uh, very great picture of, I believe it was her against Tony Storm, where she's got the the hip out, the tight leather pants. Yes. Yeah. And she goes to Mexico, comes back, leaves a way to tie, all pissed off. Uh, brings out this new character, this rebel, you might say. Really going against the grain of what kind of a, what a Japanese wrestler and woman should be she's now her own character right her wrestling skill is uh trying to what what the way i have interpreted it uh jpq is she's adjusting her wrestling style to the character and evolving it from there Mm. uh which is a very old school tactic uh and i think that's what she picked up in mexico character first wrestling second right Because she has, excuse me, she has the skill. We have seen that. But how does it fit her character? And now that Tokyo Cyber Squad has started, and she's she now has a focused character, I've seen her ring skill pick up in the last few months. Uh, her drop kicks are looking better. Her transitions into submission holds, which she definitely picked up uh, in Mexico, or at least making it more smooth, uh, it's all coming together. And her now being the faction leader and a good promo on the mic and what she does, it's different. It gets you locked on to who she is and what she's doing. She's young. She's hungry. And uh, what she said to Mayu is not kosher, right? <laughs> no. No, it's not. She She's calling out Rosi. She's she's just uh, stars. You know, we don't give a shit about the trio's title, but fuck, we want to take them off you just because it would make you feel bad. <laughs> it's, it's like a nonchalant indifference, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just like, a, yeah, no, we're here. Like, and so we'll do what we need to do to establish ourselves. But just know, just know that, like, we we can leave at any time. Like, we don't, we don't, you guys need us. We don't need you, you know, type of mentality. Um, and I like the booking behind this as well with Tokyo Cyber Squad over Golden Week. In particular, they want, they want everything. everything. They want all the specialty matches. And so, uh, when Jungle Kiona and Konami, I wonder if they're still going to call her Jungle. Jungle, Jungle. I don't know. I wonder if they're going to. I wonder if they're going to change that. They kept their Jungle. I mean, she was Jungle before Jungle Assault Nation, so I would imagine. Yeah, but they were building her into a faction that she started. Yeah, by by, no, by nobody drafting right. her. Right, that's how she started her. Yeah. Own faction. <laughs> the only reason she had her own faction is because anyways, nobody, yeah, nobody got her and Natsuko. Um, <clears throat> Natsuko. Ah, I'm gonna blame my Philly go. accent. How about that? We'll just start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I can live with that. Uh, 
So Hanakimura gets on the mic. She calls out stars. Mayu, by name specifically, she's like, I want the artist belts. Jungle and Konami get on the mic, and they're like, yeah, you know what? I don't really care about the trio's title, especially with Jungle Kiona's past and failing to get it or hold on to it. Uh, She's like, I don't know. But we just won everything together. Why not go for it? Right? And Konami was of the same mind. She goes, you know what? I'm kind of digging this. Because <laughs> she's winning a lot of matches, too, putting in good showings. And Hanakimura's winning all her matches, proving that they're a... They're more of a unified group than they than they think in over the past few weeks. And it didn't drag. I really appreciate right. this. It wasn't right away where they all changed uh, personas immediately. It was a, it was a quick... Gra- can, can you do... Can you say quick gradual? Yes. Yeah, I I'll, I'll, I can so, expand upon that later, but yeah. Yeah, well, what what I mean by it is, one week we saw Konami kind of bust out of her shell. She's like, you know what? I, I QQ didn't want didn't want me. I don't fucking want them. Jungle Kiona in the match, it's like I gotta figure things out. Then the next week, all right, I figured it out. You know, it wasn't like a month long thing, or even two or three weeks. It was I got my answer. Well, fuck her too. <laughs> now they're all sticking up the middle fingers, right? Hana might be on to something. They're like, okay, all right, I can get behind this. And then I think we're in. We're going into the third and fourth week. Now they're all changing their attire. Now they're all becoming a group. Now they're winning matches together as a group. They're proving that they're strong. I do like it all. Now they're calling out the artist title. Hana's calling Mayu the hospital girl. <laughs> Defend your titles. We want them or else. Or else what? Well, uh, Rosie, she's not wrestling. Tell her to wrestle or give the titles up. Yeah. <laughs> Simple. It's such a good promo. Hey, if, you don't, if you're a champion, you don't defend your belt in 90 days. I mean, that, that used to be a rule. Or 60 days. 60, 60 days, 30 days, 90 days. It all depends. Mm. But if you're not, if people want the belt and you're not defending it because you're just you know, you think you're hurt or kind of, and Mayu goes, you know, I'm not ready yet. She didn't say she wasn't cleared, right? That That's what I took away. She goes, I'm not wrestling yet. I'm still healing. And Hana's not having that. She goes, well, okay, hospital girl. Rosie, get on her ass. And at Korokin, Korokin, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting a series of matches here I'm really excited Huge. for. Huge matches. Yeah, we got, uh, this happened on May 16th, we got um, Kagetsu, Tony Storm, Artist of Stardom title match, we do have it, World of Stardom, Hazuki against Kagetsu, which I'm not quite sure why that, or how that came to be, maybe Hazuki in the past has a pinfall victory over B Priestley? I would imagine. No, 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 Hazuki eliminated her in the Cinderella oh, tournament. Yeah, that's what it was, yep, there you go. My God, that just clicked. And then the Wonder of Stardom title of Arisa getting cashing in her Cinderella tournament win victory, going after Momo, trying to break the streak. Which a lot of wrestling fans are usually against this. Where if you win a tournament or a rumble or a battle royal, you want to go for the top belt, right? Otherwise, why are you right. there? That's the mentality. Uh I like how if another title is currently more prestigious than another, 
yes, we know the red belt is higher on the totem pole. But right now, Momo has the record-breaking run. Right? She's beaten everybody. Wouldn't you, as a, as a uh, competitor, want to break the streak, so to say? Dude, the, the white belt, the wonder of stardom title, is the number one title in stardom right now. And it has been right for the now. last six months. Yeah. Yes, you would agree that the red belt is higher on the of totem course. pole. But yeah, it's, it's your championship. But it's not. But it's not. But it's but with the way the prestige has been raised, it's not the one people want right now. It the the wrestler makes the title. It's not the other yeah. way around. This is why I would say I'd love to see a Royal Rumble winner just go, I want the Intercontinental title. I would for I would example. love to see the Intercontinental title in a position to where the Royal Rumble winner would win it. You know? <laughs> <It's> like... Yeah. <laughs> but no, so like imagine if you had your current chan- your current world champion win the rumble or a battle royal and they go well i already have this belt i want that one now and i'm cashing in like something simple it's easy but anyways back to stardom what's your take on tcs hana the artist title and looking forward to karakin yeah i i just like pronouncing it that way huge show on the 16th huge show um as far as the uh, tcs show i you know, we talked a good length around Konami and, and Tony Storm. Um, it was nice to see uh, in the six-man, um, you know, the TCS go over again, and then they start calling off. So you said before about the the grad, uh, the, the the quick gradual. Um, it, 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 you're right. It's a gradual quickness, and what and again, I and I, I put this on Stardom World, and I think it's just smart the way they do it for viewing people that can't get out mm-hmm. to these matches. You know, you get a quick 15-second backstage promo followed by a match, followed by maybe, if it's not the co- if it's not one of the co's, maybe about five to six seconds of being able to tell a story post-ring, or, uh, post-match uh, and a continuation of the storyline. And because they put out so much, uh, 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 they put out so much content in a month, you know, if you go back, it's really like a a five, four week, but it's like a seven show arc to to bring this continuity of misfits together uh, in Jungle Konami and and uh, uh, Hana. But because you're only getting you know ten to fifteen seconds a, a show showing this. You know, by the time you get to it, and then they're all coming together. Yeah, you know what? We want those trio titles. Yeah, Rossi, you tell Mayu to. And, and all of a sudden it's gelled, right? And it gels together, but there yeah. really was no like, – what they were able to do in seven weeks timed out in either a WWE or like a WCW back in the day or even an, an Impact Now, you know, that would be one half of one promo one week. And they were able to stretch that time-wise over seven weeks and or uh, seven shows in, in, in four weeks. So that's where the success of Stardom, and then more specifically Stardom World, because they isolate their matches, um, so you can watch just one match at a time. You know, really benefits the the, the consumer because now you can consume these storylines in pieces and and relate back to them and screenshot them, and they put subtitles up. And then the fact that you don't have commentary on Stardom World means that you're not getting these storylines shoved down your throat. So you have to pay attention to to what's 
to what they're saying and the subtitles after pre and post match because otherwise you miss the story arc altogether. Um, so right. you never can get you can speculate, but you can never actually guess what's going to happen in stardom and how all this is going to incorporate. And this has gelled really, really well. They've really come together. Uh, three strong. We knew they were going to. I mean, you're talking. You know, when that when they get when you had your first two picks and you pick Konami and or Jungle and Konami uh, respectively, you knew that these three were going to be a four. I mean, we said it right away. Trio titles, like <laughs> right off the bat. And then we're talking <laughs> tag team. And then you even got secondaries in there that you can play with. Um, yeah. You know, so now you. This is like a this is like a dream come true it, for me. It's an all star lineup between Hana between like Jungle Kiona, the workhorse, uh, Konami being technical, and then Hana being the character. Like I, all that was missing for me was not to <laughs> going to TCS. <laughs> I feel like that's my dream that would faction. Be your dream faction. Not even kidding. Yeah, no, and you you wouldn't be wrong. You know what I mean? Because you get the comedy element plus the veteran presence of of Natsu. Uh, it all works together. So I, I'm excited to see what they can do. Uh, I love the fact they call it Mayu. If you remember back to when, um, um, it, and so Stardom too. If you if you're a champion and you win, you can also call out your next opponent too. And whether it's respectful or not is really up to the storyline. But uh, Momo mm-hmm. and Utami uh, beat somebody, probably Jungle and and Natsuko or, or somebody, sure. and they end up calling out Mayu and Arisa. And Arisa was at the ring, and they're like, "Well, we don't want to talk to you." You're like. My my was in the back. I do and like, was like that. We want to talk to her, and so you, so there you're building two things. One, you're building the fact that there's going to be a title match, and that's exciting. And then the second part is like, you are the most important person in Stardom, Mayu Iwatani. Like, you are the standard bearer. You're the one that holds the flag with regards to representation, right? Momo's your ace. My dad's new favorite wrestler, by the way, is Mayu. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. I mean, again, she's energetic. She's fun. You know, the confidence that she has, I mean, she had, she had a great performance at NYC, by the way. Yeah, if you if you haven't wa- if you haven't listened to the podcast covering uh, the trip to New York, I... Interviewed your dad. I interviewed my dad over the whole weekend, and he saw Okada, he saw Jay White, he saw Bobby Guns, the guy who smokes after his matches like he just had sex. <laughs> <laughs> he saw Joey Janela pop up. He, he saw all these people... Who does he take away? Mayu Iwatani. Goddamn right he does. I'm like, really? Because it's just so surprising. And he goes, she was the most athletic person and stood out to me the most. He was so upset when she lost to <laughs> Kelly Klein at the G1. He just he just looks over me. She, but she sucks. I was like, I know. <laughs> Look, it's Ring of Honor. You'll get used to it. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully Ring of Honor. Uh, hopefully Stardom cuts their ties from Ring of Honor. Yeah, yeah, that's although although it was it was good for Stardom up through New York. So I'll, I'll give them all the credit in the world for that. Get 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 your talent booked. Non utilized. No, but at least they got the pre show. I mean, I know that seems like small potatoes, but <clears throat> you know the, the fact that they got anything was good. Um, nice. Speaking to your Hana point, real quick. Remember, she was the ninja yes. gimmick. Then she went to Mexico. Then she came back and she was part of Oedo Tai. Then she, or no, it was Ninja Gimmick, Oedo Tai, Mexico comes back. Then she's kind of got this Electronica goth kind of look to it, like the people under the bridge in that viral video. Electronica you goth. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. And and then. She looks like an anime real, character to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, totally, totally <laughs> uh, warranted. And and then she then switches it into this military-esque kind of form. And But to, to your point, where you said that she's kind of the character and then she matches the move set, right? Really, as I've watched her, and again, I might be 
you know, fantasizing on this more, but I typically tend to do this. To me, I, what she's shown, because remember, she's second generation. Her mother started Oedo Tai, you know? Like, and <laughs> so for her to progress from this ninja gimmick and then qu- incorporate that with the heelish tactics of Oedo Tai and then take something away, to me, really what she's been doing is building her arsenal of of what uh, she can do in the ring. And she cleans some things up in Mexico. I agree with you there. Although I got to go back and really watch. I've only watched a little bit of what she was doing in Mexico at the time. And then she comes back and then she's incorporating like the Oedo Tai style against Kagetsu and Oedo Tai the back half of last year. Mm -hmm. And then she incorporates. So then she becomes a fan favorite and she's doing like the, the, the face stuff smiling and she's poppy and she's coming out and she's dancing and she's working with you know Bobby Tyler but she still her her in-ring work was still very heelish you know what i mean like she hasn't she hadn't compensated yeah. for that to the point then she went into a complete overhaul by going to that pink hair and blue um whatever that was uh leotard <laughs> that we saw in new york but prior to new york as well and then she you kind of see her personality she was very over in new yeah, york yeah i called her the unicorn that that's like the you know uh that unicorn show uh, my little pony whatever uh, outfit that she right. was wearing and and she ran that for a little while to kind of kind of cool off some of that heelish tactic and now she's the leader of a faction and she's smiley and poppy and it's diverse and everybody's included and we don't turn anybody away but at the same time when we're in that ring we're gonna mess some people up you know what i mean and so you see this progression <laughs> over the course of the last couple of years minus all the character work she did in wave and working with asuka and things like that um man dude she's yeah, it's why we like second generation wrestlers so much, and 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 that for that third generation too. It's like because you get to build upon, you have a, a, a knowledge for the business that's unparalleled. Anybody entering it, and and again, super young, she's going to be around a while. She she's got a Western look. She's going to be stateside at some point, I would imagine, uh, later in her career, whether that's WWE or AEW or what running an indie circuit who knows but who knows what's in the future for for wrestling in the states but she will be at some point because she's very um she's got she's got the look to to succeed over here in that sense too so man she's got she's she's a five tool player through and through all righty so with that uh i'm gonna play a drop here we can move on to boss yeah finally (laughs) lots of stardom i i always I never talk uh, stardom enough, and uh, this was a good time to really go in-depth on a lot of things. Uh, It it does a lot for the future, too, so uh, of what we see for the rest of 2019. All right, here we go. We are back. With New New Japan, best of the Super Juniors days, 1 through 6, May 13th through the 19th. The first three rounds, basically. So each wrestler has wrestled two matches. Still joined here with JPQ. Thank you for this very extended uh, cast. We had a lot of stardom to talk about, did we, we not? We did. Alrighty. So, <clears throat> I have... Uh, what I've written down here is the standout matches. The way... Best of Super Juniors works. It's much like the G1. It's exactly the same. You, you got a number of wrestlers put in the blocks. They face each other once. Person with the most points go on. Uh, winner of each block faces in a final match. Winner gets a title shot. If you're not the champion. 
If you're the champion and you win, you choose your next opponent. So, <clears throat> first uh, day one, we have uh, what I have written here is Marty Skrull versus Gresham, in which Skrull goes over in 12 minutes and 22 seconds. Good technical match. Good. Simple as technical that. Ma- For people that enjoy chain wrestling, boom, here you go. Right? And then, and then some of the other variations they put on it. Gresham's just fun to watch. A personal favorite of mine. I love Gresham. He does a lot of things very well in the ring, uh, especially at a technical base. I like his work in CCK over in Europe. I like his uh, his heelish, goofy antics. And we saw a lot of that in this match. Uh, going up against Marty Skrull is a good first opponent, <clears throat> uh, especially with Marty on his way out. He's going to AEW. Like, not a doubt in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I have to imagine you're right. It's people keep trying to shake me off of that, but I, I mean, but but it's to me it's the same as Kenny Omega. Like, oh, is he going to leave New Japan or isn't he? And then of course, then you find out that they had a pact back at G1 Finals that they were all going to go do this together. Okay, so Marty's part of it. Like, clearly, Marty's part of it. Right. Yeah, he has yeah. to be. So uh, Gresham is still trying to win this New Japan crowd over. Yeah, he's. He's, he's, uh, you know, I hear this a lot, but if he was like four inches taller, he'd be a world champion. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd be another Jay Lethal type guy. He, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I just think that for, for, I, I, to me, what I don't like that people, that he doesn't, people don't gravitate to him for some reason. Yet he does everything that Zack Sabre Jr. does just on the face side, right? He can do the heel, but on the face side. So so the fact that he doesn't get as much, and maybe it's because he, he wasn't, but he's been in the UK. He's, he's been all over the place. Like the fact that people don't know who the octopus is um, drives me up the wall because this dude, I don't care if it was Orange Cassidy over WrestleMania weekend. I don't care if it was Zack Sabre Jr. at Final Battle. You know, I don't care if it was a GCW event in in Philly where he went after Tony Depp and like, the dude just goes out there and busts his ass and and his matches are so good and they're so much fun to watch and he's so smart with what he does in the ring i mean at one point he did a a a a cabrata into a into a rolling ankle lock into a deadlift german into a backslide into a cradle for like three different falls against against marty like that that yeah. type of sequence it's no joke. Yeah, is no joke and people just forget this over time or don't appreciate the the that type of wrestling and it just drives me but it speaks to your point when we were talking stardom about how character versus technical right and people don't really care so much that it can fall Mm. flat but in new japan you expect that to go over and i thought it did i thought the the crowd responded well to him um I, i thought it was a great match they're still having a rough time going over, get, getting the idea of Jonathan Gresham. Uh, you know, I, I I believe we saw the same thing with Flip Gordon last mm-hmm. year when he made his uh, Gaijin going into New Japan when they're seeing him for the first time. Unless they're pushed like an El Phantasmo. Right. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to El, we'll get to good old ELP here sure in a will. minute. Uh, next match um, is probably my match of the tournament already. And that's uh, Shingo Takagi, who's killing everybody, as I wanted and expected. He defeats the guy who's been gunning for him specifically, and wanting to beat only him is Sho. 
from Rapongi 3K. Uh, match goes 25 minutes. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, now, me being the technical guy, I probably preferred Skrull Gresham, but Shingo Takagi versus Show uh, had the story, had the hard hitting, had the motivation. It was long. It reached that 20 plus minute magic hour. Fuck, this match was good. It had a great build. The pacing of this match was great. Like, you, when you watched it, you felt it, but then you could see it in the crowd, too, is that you hit that 11-minute, 12-minute mark, and you were really waiting for things to begin to take off, and it did, and then they delivered on that side. Like, they very smart with how they built towards the middle of the match, and then obviously the finish at the end was freaking great. But, um, but again, something, again, storytelling. doesn't have to be convoluted and, and all these different twists and turn. Shingo is, uh, you know, in a a sense, he's undefeated, right? Like, nobody can touch him in New Japan. And Sho called him out as a bigger... the friggin' dragon, Exactly, and and that's all you need. And they're going to go in there, and they're just going to put on a performance. And first night sets the tone. Um, There is, like, the smart thing about this, and as as well as the second match, the the co-main of the night, the other co-main, is the fact that you got it night one, you, you, you weren't waiting on it. You didn't have the uh, lethargicness of these types of tournaments. Like you can you can like you can fall off these tournaments pretty easily if you miss a night or two and you miss something. Um, mm-hmm. But you come out of the gate, Shingo show little storyline and then they go in there and they just beat the crap out of each other. Um, working uh, uh, Shingo working the the psychology on on the arm throughout the entire thing. Uh, when he hits him with the clothesline, <clears throat> you know, and spills outside at the end, uh, then he posts it up on Show's arm like that. Coming off the Fujiwara, uh, yeah, the Fujiwara armbar in the ring, like it's just smart booking through and through. Um, Shingo with the Dragon Spirit, um, you know, and then off the top, like just come on, like it's just all about this stuff was just ridiculous. So big fan of this match, um, just unreal. Like I guess it's the best way of putting it. And then you had the Kimura later as well. Like I'm just replaying it back because it was a few, you know, a couple days ago. But yeah, there was just so many spots oh, yeah. that were just like, geez, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And I know I'm speaking a lot about Shingo, but Show had a great performance as well. Well, here's the thing about Shingo. I was uh, <clears throat> I was introduced to him through actually WXW in Germany. He won the first ever 16 karat gold tournament. That right, Shingo Takagi. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, this guy's really good. Like he is on another level. <laughs> Where's this guy from? And it, it wasn't until, uh, I went and I looked into Dragon Gate and he, I was like, oh my God, this guy's been Dragon Gate like ace, right? Him and Shima. And that's how I discovered right. Shima. <clears throat> so Shingo and Shima are Dragon Gate, right? Those two guys. And ironically, neither of them are there anymore. So... Shingo shows up in New Japan. I'm just I'm just salivating, going, oh god, I have watched so many of this dude's matches now. He's one of my favorite in the world. I'd put him in my top ten. Yeah, he, you would have right? to. You would have if you take him the grand <clears throat> it, it's everything going right now. I mean it's hard to bet against Shingo. So Shingo being in the Super Juniors, I I want him to go undefeated. I want him to win the finals, and I want him to take that title off Dragon League. Yeah, I mean that's the most well, mm, I don't know. 
Yeah, there, there's the, there's the Hiromu in the background. There's shadow, that, which is right? fine, and I don't care if they tell that story or not because they're best friends, and it was an accident. So if they want to dive down there, I'm fine with it. But let's be honest, they really like each other and things, so we might see that. But then you got El Fantasma on the other side, so it's like. That's right. So, like to me, it's like Shinga. Like, when you say that, like that, in, in New Japan, we tep- typically tend to get conventional booking, whether they both run the table or not, which would be freaking awesome. Um, and then they meet in the final for for Dragon Lee. One or the other. It's like you're talking one and one A right there. Like just let those two go because that's really the title match. And then whoever gets that gets to take the title off uh, Dragon Lee at, at Dominion. So <laughs> either way, we come out winners. Right. So Shingo uh, has a knack for. Just excellent selling. He knows how to work a match and not not fake an injury and then all of a sudden it's fine. He doesn't do that a lot. <clears throat> so when he when he hits a pumping bomber, his giant clothesline, <laughs> and his arm's been worked all match, he can't just hit one of them, right? right? He's got to hit fucking three of them, and then it's effective because his arm's been worked all match, right? right. So it makes sense when Show kicks out twice. Well, that... When you've seen him finish these matches before with with the arm, when he that sequence right before, so when I thought it was over was the, the what you're talking about the the sequence of he hit the German, he hit the pumping bomber, he gets two right, but then Shingo hits or follows up with the uh, Nashigami and then hits another pumping bomber, and I'm like it's over, and then bang, kick out a two by show, and I'm just like you got to be kidding me, <laughs> like, this is going to continue, and like that sequence alone got me. And then they went on, and then you got yeah. a third. Um, it's all part of the it's cell, It's all part right? of the cell, right? And you think back to when the arm being, you know, worked and all that. And just, again, it makes it. New Japan does that very well. They always have. And then Tanahashi built his career off that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, Ishimori, Dragon Lee meet for a second time. They go 18 minutes and a half this time around. Ishimori, uh, to me, predictably wins uh, since Dragon Lee has now beaten him twice so dragon lee's the title match guy ishimori's the boss j guy is how i took this uh ishimori had an amazing showing in the last tournament had one of the best uh super junior matches uh and finals of all time in my opinion Mm -hmm. and ishimori uh goes over dragon lee pretty clean and uh tough to follow that 25 minute barn burner that takagi and show just did so <clears throat> not as good as their their uh, previous title match, but still a good match. Yeah, so I actually had to watch. I watched this match, and I was buzzing so high from Shingo Show that I actually had to go rewatch it the following day by itself just to make sure that that I like I that I was being appropriate with how I uh, looked at it. But but I think you hit it. It it solid good match, good champion versus former champion match. Tight, good spot for yeah. Ishimori to go over. But it wasn't one of their. It was it was a great match for them. It wasn't their best match together. Um, and th- if you go back and you just rewatch that one, you would. I think most people would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that also now brings up the question: uh, Who's going to beat Shingo? And from my money, uh, now that show's gone, because he was the guy with the story that all he wanted to do was beat Shingo, my money's on Ishimori. Yeah, he's the only one. If there's going to be one guy right. to th- to thwart him. 
Yeah, it has to be, right? It, I mean, Dragon Lee's probably not going to be. Just funny, the Noah Ace beating the Dragon Gate oh, Ace. Oh, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is that. You of, know what's funny is that you look at that in New, New Japan. New Japan infighting. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Noah versus. Yeah, I, say, yeah. I gotta I gotta watch more Noah. Noah's Noah's uh fifty. Yeah, I know. But, but anyway, they got they got good problems out there. Yeah, they got more than all Japan. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Alex. Uh, anyways, day two. All I got here is uh, the funky the funky weapon, Mister mm-hmm. Butt Mister Butt style Ryusuke. Taguchi defeats Yo, and uh, that went 20 and a half minutes. Um, yeah, Osprey has good matches. Uh, Bushi put in a good showing. Uh, Romero, but the dudes from Rapongi 3K, that includes Rocky yes. Romero, but Sho and Yo specifically, they had a good coming out of party last year in Boss J. This year is another like they've reached another level of their game as far as i'm concerned yeah they're against really good workers but now they're showing what they're capable of they're putting in more offense they're putting in more right. time a lot longer matches now we know what they're capable right. they're of. showing that on the single and, side that not that they're ready to break up but that that they can go and they can go really really well and it's really working for them well, they w- wouldn't need to break up. Look sure. at Sonata Fair and point. Evil. Fair point. Yeah. Right. I n- I never agree with this. Just because you're a tag team doesn't mean doesn't mean you have to break up or one guy turns face yeah, for I heel. Agree. Right. Yep. <clears throat> I never agree with that. Like this whole New Day thing, they need to break up. I go, why? why? They're still popular. Why can't you know? It's just like in Stardom with Queen's right. Quest. Just go for a title. What's the big deal? Wouldn't you want? Wouldn't it be more intriguing to see some support for once? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with all of that. Um, and I, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't want to allude to the breakup, like, to them breaking up. But what you're really seeing this this year, unlike last year, you saw it a little last year, but then definitely like two years ago. Is that two years ago they were really just the tag team showing yell. And it's still rather new coming in, um, Rocky kind right. of holding them, and then last year they kind of were able to. Show themselves a little bit, but man, this year they're really doing their singles offense is ridiculously uh, just just clean, and and they're putting on some great matches. Um, and it's nice to not always have that tag team influence. Like the fact that they can get out. Like I'm more invested in watching Show and Yo. It, to me, Young Bucks are a better tag team than Show and Yo. But I'm more invested in watching Show and Yo in singles than I ever will be in my entire life. Nick and Matt. You know what I mean? Because that's how how much they're they're vibing with me right now. Ooh, that's gonna be interesting. In AEW seeing them in singles. Yeah, matches. right. It would be strange. <clears throat> yeah. Anyways, how do you? F- uh, you know what? I'll say I'll save this question okay. for later. Uh, day three, uh, Ishimori befe- uh, defeats Skrull. Skrull putting in another Marty Skrull performance. Twenty two minutes, twenty one seconds. Ishimori gets the win. Uh, Technical affair. Ishimori can go both ways. He can go hard-hitting, uh, high-flying with Dragon Lee. Now he can go the ground, map-based game, uh, limb work against Marty Skrull. <clears throat> and then we got uh, Dragon Lee defeats Sho in what I thought was going to be a draw with the way that Seems was going. That uh, 
but this is what we were talking about time management using time as a booking mechanism goes over 20 minutes oh shit match could end any minute show's getting some near falls <gasps> gasp <laughs> but wait dragon lee's the champion no way right oh 25 minutes passed oh surely it's going to a draw 30 minutes they're announcing it bang match over what the f- show where is this coming from two matches <laughs> I, he was my dark horse to win the damn thing, and it, if you're not going to win the damn thing, then you better be putting, you better be part of the best matches every time you're out there. And he, <coughs> that when yeah. you were saying it before with the near falls, that when when show went for the shock arrow and they count, they have that counter series back and forth, and then he finally gets it, and Lee count, kicks out at two. Um, like he just watched that, and like, that that shit is art. You know what I mean? Like to, to watch that uh, go down the way it does, and then boom, they're up, knee strikes, and then poison Rana from from Lee. It's like, and then and then he gets, into, then he no sold it. You know what I mean? Like it's like you're just watching these sequences, and I'm just going crazy as a fan. It's what makes New Japan so good. But on top of that, these two workers together just insane, and <clears throat> Lee hitting. I'm not gonna say out of nowhere, but because he kind of set it up. But when he hits that, uh, and you can correct me on this, but it's that Des uh, Desnucadora. Right, uh, for the win, just and then boom, it's over before you ever thought it was going. And I, I mean, everything about this match just so strong, such a good showing for Show. Although he's taken some losses, uh, he's taken them to Shingo and Dragon Lee, who's the champion. Like that, that's a win to me, you know. Yeah, right. <clears throat> this is how you make a guy look great in, in a right. loss. It's not that hard. It really isn't hard. It's not hard. Just got to make him look competent, <laughs> right? Jesus. All right. Day four. Uh, back to block B. Osprey against Rocky Romero. A match I had no idea I was going to love as much as I, I did. The match went 25 minutes, almost I mean, 26. Like it, it, Rocky Romero is putting <clears throat> on, you know, four-star matches right now. Like, you got to be kidding me. Unbelievable. Uh, Wrestling Observer um, Radio gave it four and Did they really? Nice. Uh, yeah, this Osprey-Romero Good. match. I can totally yeah, see why. totally. No pro- no issues with uh, that. Rocky Romero being being the innovator of sneaky style. <laughs> not afraid to cheat and be proud of it. You know, nothing wrong with that, Best I suppose. Using using all the oh, yeah, using all the rules to your advantage. Uh and being a face at it uh these days. Uh naturally it's against Osprey, so you know it's gonna be a, a banger, mm-hmm. right? I don't think I've ever seen a bad Osprey match in my life. No. No, I maybe once when he, like he first saw a wrestling ring, but by the second time he was he was put on pretty consistent <laughs> matches. But that second match, it was it was four, it was at least That's four right. stars. Uh, but Rocky Romero not doing not doing the sneaky style against Osprey starts out slow, and then it's it just it was just two guys from Chaos going against each other trying to be the better man, and Rocky Romero being the veteran uh, coming in against Osprey, working limbs. Knowing his style, two guys know each other very well. It was a good face-to-face match. Pun intended. <laughs> no, but you're right. Um, I was, this is this is so. This match is a good example of um, what what these tournaments can be. 
You know, you would look at this and you would say, it, it's easy to sit there and say Shingo should win every match. And it should be, it, it, Dragon Lee's the champion and he should be towards the top of the tier. And then right. Osprey, I mean, you know, coming off an open weight, coming off um, best of super juniors two years ago, coming, you know, off multiple uh, junior championships, like then the hype around him, God, um, he should run the table or at least be close to it. And it's just like, but then you have these matches and sometimes it's like Yano and there's some, there's some fun stuff in the G1 and whatnot, but Sure. But man, but then you have something like this where you just have a crafty veteran get in there and he's going to teach he's going to teach that hot up and comer, you know, that 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 don't don't over uh don't overthink it, don't oversell yourself like uh, this old dog's got still got tricks. And and coming out of this, Osprey's better for it because now he can this is something he can add to his arsenal, right? This is a storyline that then now the crafty veteran is is in, imprinting on the young Osprey. You know, another element of wrestling for you to consider because now you just took a loss from me. And these are what these these are what these um, are supposed to do. You know what I mean? These types of matches, these types of tournaments, that's what that's what's supposed to happen. And this was a perfect spot for it. Uh, Good for Rocky for getting over. Uh, And then more importantly, um, it'll be interesting to see how Osprey utilizes this learning, the 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 education Uh from this moving forward through the rest of the uh, the, the tournament so uh great storytelling elements here good for romero yeah and what i <clears throat> this is what i like about new japan uh top three right one of my top three reasons why i love new japan over many other promotions out there including my beloved wxw <laughs> <clears throat> the treatment of their veterans is next level whether they're Old and beaten down, you know, your Tenzons, your uh, Nakanishis, your uh, Nagatas, right? Uh, Or your guys who could still go to various degrees. You can throw Nagata in there again. Uh, Rocky (laughs) Romero comes to mind. Where the respect is there, the work is there. Taguchi, there's another one, right? Seen him in the main event in Block B like every night. <laughs> yeah. Right? They put their veterans in position to look good and continue to look good. They don't ever squash them. And if they do, it's for a big deal. Right? It's to get this guy over and rocket, like strap a rocket right. to him. They don't make them look foolish. They treat them well. And seeing Rocky Romero put in a performance like this, like it always gets me over as a fan. Sure, he still lost, but damn, did he look good in that defeat, Mm -hmm. right? He looked like he can still go. He looked like he still has something left in the tank. And going up against a guy like Will Ospreay only makes him look better. It just... Elevates that fact, yeah. Right, brings some legitimacy to to anything that he does the rest of the year, right? Uh, so Taguchi defeats Dookie or Doki, Dookie Doki, Dookie, which is unfortunate. <laughs> well, I mean, for Western, that's people, very true. Sure. Yeah, uh, I, if I can speak on um, uh, Taguchi real quick, I love the fact that they're putting him back in a spot of prominence. 
uh, he's been kind of playing in that comedy card for the last couple of years. And I get that that's part of the gimmick. Like, that's one side of him. But, I mean, this dude, for how long, has been taken seriously as a, as a BOS uh, or as a, as a super junior champion, he, you know, Apollo 55 with with Prince Devitt uh, a few years back. Like, this dude is 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 a Hall of Famer in in not just in new japan but in the world of wrestling and so the fact that he gets one i'm not even going to call it a run but the fact that he's being positioned back in a in a state of prominence um you know to where he can still do some of the goofy stuff but really he's kind of had a serious that's been the baseline this year has been more of that serious undertone of i'm getting back in the ring and i'm doing what i do best and they've shown that over the course of the year and that seems to be continuing with these main event spots and then the strong matches that he's putting on and i thought him versus uh dookie was was great day four um and and again it just remind it should remind people after the elite left they've had to not reinvent themselves but reestablish what new japan was prior to right and you right. go back to the people that got you there. You go back to Okada. You have Tanahashi who was already there coming off of 2018. And now you have Taguchi working back up the ranks into a more prominent role. And and for someone who was watching New Japan prior to the Elite coming in, uh, Young Bucks and all mm-hmm. that, like, I just, I, am, I just think that is the smartest goddamn thing that they're doing. Um, by putting these people in that in, in that position and getting their their original fan base back reinvested into what New Japan was prior, uh, they're not taking a step back. They're reestablishing themselves to move forward. And it all too often people try to reinvent themselves because thing because of change and it falls flat on your current customer or uh, like customer base. Sure, but your 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 fan base. It, New Japan was so smart to uh, know what's know what works not panic um not that they needed to but they could have overreacted to the to the to them leaving and and do something crazy instead they've incorporated new talent they've built new stores with osprey but at the same time they're still celebrating the roster that got them to the dance to begin with and i think that's a beautiful thing yeah utilizing the veterans to uh keep them relevant and to get the new talent right. over <clears throat> it's very important yeah, I like uh, I like what they're doing with Taguchi in this tournament. It was very unexpected w- with me, but just like I said with Rocky Romero, gives me happy feels. Yeah, it's welcomed. All right, day five. I don't have it. <laughs> that was kind of a skip. skip no day. show versus Taka didn't do anything for you. Oh. <clears throat> no, too bad. There's I, there's a couple things. Um, I think I think day five. I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time on it. You're right, but I thought Dragon Lee versus Jonathan Gresham was fine. Um, Shingo. This was the sleeper of them because you had Shingo versus um, Kanemaru, which wasn't the best thing in the world. Uh, I thought Teton is putting in a nice amount of work. I mean, we know what he is, Ooh. but... Save Teton. Okay. All right, for, we'll save it. Uh, we'll save it. But him later. versus Ishimori is something that you should go watch on day four if you <laughs> haven't. Um, and that's all I got for day four. All right. Or day five. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, day five. Yeah. Day six, I have uh, Osprey against Yo. 24 minutes, yep, 43 yep, yep. seconds. Absolutely. Like. Rapongi 3K at it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <clears throat> discussion time. Thoughts over Ren Narita in the tournament so far? For being such a late addition, I think he's really come in and he's had some nice moments. Um, he he needs to go away for a little while. But when he comes back, think so? I think he does. Yeah, because you have because I'm a big fan of Amino. 
And I think that he's probably the next on the heavyweight side to really come in and establish himself. And I've been pushing mm-hmm. for him not to go on um, excursion and just to just to just to break the mold and just go into the the, the main roster. Although they don't, they're not going to do that because they never do that. But uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, with that, you can't do it with both. So I'd rather see Ren go away, get a little seasoning. But he's been very impressive. He's been very clean. He's had great showings, and on such short notice, if that was a if that's a real thing, which I think it is, um, you <laughs> oh, know. Yeah. I think how so can as well. you how can you not uh, appreciate his work rate overall? You got a favorite match you've seen from Narita mm, so far? Not without first six days. I mean, no, I don't. Only because the only one that sticks in my head right now is Narita versus Romero um, from the last day. So I got a little recency bias going on. I should go back and re- okay. refocus. <clears throat> uh, I rather like the uh, the short nine minute. Uh, Robbie Eagles mm, match. That was night one, right? No, that was night. That was night three. <sighs> it was night three, yeah. I believe. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Uh, yeah, it started off the night hot. Uh, I think that was Ren Narita's best showing. That was a good. One. Uh, Robbie Eagles, very uh, underrated talent. He's he's young. He's still coming into his own. Uh, Australian, Australian wrestler. Hey. There, there's yeah, another they're, one. They're they're migrating yeah. out out of the world. <clears throat> Rapongi 3K discussion. We, we, I think we've pretty much gone through All that stars already. This tournament, yeah, very, um, very good showing from all three of those guys. Uh, El Phantasmo, uh, the headbanger, the dickhead himself. <laughs> uh, first six days, I don't think he's had, you know, a top five match out of the first six days, but he is leaving a lasting impression with what he's doing. Yeah. More so, I would say that's top two or three level of guy uh, for ELP. If you, I mean, anytime you can get away with flipping off children, you're probably doing something right as a heel. Uh, oh, <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you what I, I, so my takeaways from, I mean, we knew what we were going to get when we got him, right? If you watch any type of Rev Pro, you knew what you're getting with ELP. Um, oh, yeah. What what I really like about him, I if you're if you're a fan, if you're listening to this and you're a fan of of Will Ospreay and you like that gymnastic type of wrestling and you like the the counters back and forth and the spot filled, go watch. I think it was I want to say it was day two, uh, Phantasmo versus Bandito. Um, go back and watch that. Not the best match in the world. Like it's nothing that you're going to sit there and be like, oh my god, this is a top five match of all time. But just the spots and the, the the chain wrestling at the beginning and then the spots they do throughout, um, just very impressive agility between the two of them. We, you and I have spoke before about um, um, Teddy Hart and that uh, athletic, about oh, sure. that athletic aesthetic, you know, and watching Phantasmo in the ring, that's what you're getting, right? You're getting somebody whose body control is just insane and his fluidity and transitions in and out of not only counters, but... Uh, overall general wrestling is just so smooth. The dude is just smooth. I still think he needs to find uh, find his finisher. You know what? That's a fair his, point. Um, That's a fair point. In in Rev Pro, he had the uh, the Swanton uh, moonsault right. combo, and now in New Japan, he has kind of the uh, pedigree falling suplex it's a, or whatever it's like it's a called? spike pedigree right something like that like a, yeah, what does he call it the CR2 or 
I forget what he calls it. Something, yeah, whatever, what, it's whatever, called. It, yeah. whatever it might be. <clears throat> I'm not a fan of his of his finishers. He needs. He still needs That's to find fair. one personally. Easier, easier yeah. of the things to find. But God, he's going over. Uh, what? Don't wear hats and watch your nuts. <laughs> Don't wear hats. <laughs> Round ELP. It's good. It's good. I like that. Uh, we spoke about Osprey just being mm-hmm. Osprey. We spoke about Taguchi getting in that main event. Love that. Uh, Gre- the, the, so this is why I have a trifecta. These are the unsung heroes of the tournament, except Teton. I'll get into mm-hmm. him in a second. Gresham Bandito are putting in just workhorse performances. They're essentially there to get everyone else right. over. And it's incredible what they're doing uh, from that map-based level. This is, These are your, to be timely and celebrating, uh, uh, celebrating now 20 years of Owen Hart's death. Um, not of him dying, right. but just of who he was, his career. Uh what was Owen Hart really good at doing? Getting people over with his style. And to me, the Owen Hart Awards go to Grushman Bandito. I like that. And I think you're right. I think you're spot on. Now, Teton is supposed to be in that category, but he has had some... I don't know whether he's going through jet lag or he's off a little bit, <clears throat> but he's been missing a lot of spots. He's been less fluid in the ring than I've ever seen him before. I don't know if he's ever put in this much work. Because with each match after another, he's getting more sloppy. Right. Uh, yeah. It, and I hope I hope that trend doesn't continue I think with him. jet lag would be interesting. Time time zone change would be interesting to see if he can really turn it around the back half of this. Uh, from Just from a, uh, a clean perspective. Um, yeah. Because he hasn't worked in Japan since 2016. Uh, he did the... It's yeah, been a while. it's been a while. And he was always an undercard guy. And he was a guy that would come in and get beat up and leave. And that's fine. You need those two. And when he was over, I don't think it was the last, I think it was both 2016, but I think he was part of the uh, Super, well, not the Super Juniors, but the Junior Tag um, uh, format back then. And maybe he was a little bit more mm-hmm. protected. Uh, I forget who he was tagging with. It's been three years now. But um, that was the last time I saw him over in New Japan. So maybe it's just a little ring rust from jet lag. It'll be interesting. If not, that's a little more concerning um, because he's better than he, 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 I think he's had some great matches. I think he's had some great spots. I think he's, you know, we know, yeah, we know what we're getting with him. He's a fantastic talent. He he is. And he literally comes over to collect the paycheck, which, hey, send me to Japan anytime and pay me. Uh, More than happy to go. Um, We know why he's there. And if he can get some good quality wins and he can shore up some of his uh, some of his spots, you know, he will be remembered in this tournament. Um, maybe again, he's having a good tournament uh, from a work rate. But, yes, he is missing. He is missing some things right now that you and I aren't accustomed to him missing. Yeah, it's it's uh, <clears throat> but he'd be in that Bandito Gresham category. Yes. Uh Ishimori, I think um, he's destined for second place to Shingo mm-hmm. in Block A. Dragon Lee, I think, is going to end up tying with Ishimori. Okay, I'm okay with that. I'm expecting a better way Dragon. I, I'm expecting a better Dragon Lee the second half. To be honest with you, um, I know that he's sitting okay in the standings, and I certainly don't expect him to win the damn thing. But you know, he's got four points. He has two wins through. <clears throat> six nights. Hold on. 
<coughs> excuse me. Um, but you know, typically with these, you the champion comes on hot at the end to to bring some intrigue to it. So where sure. he finishes second with Ishimori, I could see Ishimori takes a fun <laughs> loss. Um, hopefully at aggression, uh, or show it would be nice to see show get a win over a previous champion. Um, and uh, <laughs> Dragon Lee begin to continue uh, going through it. I expect I ex- we haven't seen what Dragon Lee. If you're if you're new to Dragon Lee, based off of uh, because you were interested in Best of Super Juniors, this dude is about to show you his catalog of of skill set. Um, and we just we haven't seen it yet. Now, with that said. He doesn't have to worry about Ishimori anymore. He doesn't have to worry about uh, Shingo. Did him and Shingo go yet? Uh, no. Maybe. Not not in the first, not six, the first days. six days. Right. 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 <clears throat> um, so yeah. so so we got we got that teaser there. Um, we're we're gonna see a lot of Dragon Lee soon, and then you'll be pleasantly surprised if you're not familiar with who he is. The back half, Dragon Lee versus the Dragon. Yeah, <laughs> right. That <laughs> sells itself. <clears throat> well, what's what's uh, Dragon Lee has always been over with the crowd, but what's what's getting him even more over in this tournament is all his Shibata mannerisms <laughs> and moves that he's doing. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Shibata is Dragon Lee's heroes. He's on record with saying that. And he's he's paying a lot of homage and respect to who Shibata is and how he's impacted Dragon Lee and how he performs in the ring. Uh, from Indian style, sitting in the middle of the ring, cross-armed, looking at the dude, just baiting him to hit him. Uh, the running drop kicks into the corners. Uh, everything. And anytime he does that, you just you just know the crowd is immediately on his side. Uh, so, he's one of those guys. Uh, <clears throat> and then, last but not least, Shingo. We discussed him. So, uh, based on these first six days, uh, who are your two finalists? Uh, I think I think it has to. I, I think you brought Shingo in, and part of that was for the build to this. Um, I would expect to see Shingo continue his domination through this tournament. Um, I actually have it a little different. I think we see uh, show turn it on the back half based off the work rate I've seen. And he finishes tied for second um, with Ishimori or Dragon Lee. I mean, pick one of the two. Loses on a tiebreaker for second place. Uh, and then on the other mm-hmm. side, Phantasmo. It's time to set him up. You have a lot invested in him. Robbie Eagles is going to go away after this tournament for a little while. So you have your one. Um, you have your two people in Bullet Club. You don't need three. And then you sure. uh you set up ELP versus <clears throat> Shingo. I would really like to see it the Shingo Dragon Lee match is going to be telling over what to expect. If Sh- Dragon Lee goes over Shingo, boom, then I think Shingo's going to win. If Shingo goes over Dragon Lee, then I expect ELP to win uh in the final. Um if but really what I'm hoping for is Shingo Dragon Lee in a draw. Shingo Dragon Lee draw. All right, set okay. up a little intrigue going well, into the... <clears throat> well, I'm sticking to my fandom mm-hmm. guns. Shingo is murdering <laughs> all the juniors. He's going undefeated tournament win, beating El Phantasmo in the final, with El Phantasmo just getting the to the uh, tournament final off a tiebreaker with Will Ospreay. Okay, I like that. 
I like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally okay with that because then you're protecting your investment. <laughs> yeah. So ELP is still over. He gets over, you know, much like Ishimori last year. He got, that's how he, this is how he got over with the tournament loss in the finals. Right. But damn, did he look good getting there? That's what I see ELP doing. Uh, just getting one of those shock losses he at some point to. and then tying with Ospre- Osprey. He has to, right? He has to. Uh, he has to lose to somebody. That, well, that's the thing about New Japan is anybody can lose at any given time, right? It's just how the tournament pans out. <clears throat> but I don't see Saint Shingo losing. I think he's uh, he's too good, too big, too damn good. Say that twice. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna murder somebody. I would agree. In a good 100%. way. In a good way. <laughs> I think he's going over Dragon Lee. I think that'll be a twenty-five minute match. Be. Has to be that. That is that. I mean, Shingo show was so good. Um, so it's tough from the one that scares me the most is definitely the Ishimori match more than Dragon yeah. Lee. Yeah, just funny saying because Dragon Lee's the champion. So, anyways, <clears throat> well, JPQ, well, this is a time for you to put yourself over. We've been here two nice. hours discussed discussing. Uh, probably our two favorite <laughs> definitely, promotions. Currently. Definitely our two favorite. Uh, and the fact that we kept it um, under three is impressive because I definitely thought we would be going on a yeah. marathon here. Um, but no, I appreciate you taking the time to invite me on. The episode's a marathon, yeah, this, that's yeah, for sure. Yes, it will be. The full episode will be. <laughs> well, good. Um, but no, I, uh, JD, I appreciate you uh, reaching out and saying, hey, come on. Um, you know, you know, you and I are going to work out our schedules to get you on uh, no particular angle. Uh, if you haven't, please check out No Particular Angle uh, at NPA Podcast. It's my podcast where I, uh, every Wednesday on Brainbuster Radio, as well as at No Particular Angle, put out an episode with something re- in regards to the wrestling industry. I try not to keep it focused on one promotion or or one idea. Typically, there is, uh, you know, I, I genuinely, I'm a huge fan of women's wrestling. Obviously, you could tell from Stardom today. I'm a huge fan of Stardom, um, and and I will pick. A, a storyline or something going on in the world of wrestling, uh, a, a specific topic, and either we'll speculate out on what we think is going to happen, uh, or we will break down uh, different things that 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 may be happening in the wrestling industry today. Um, what I like about this show so much, why I find it to be interesting, why people, the feedback I've gotten about it is that it's a show where, uh, like the name entails, there is no particular angle. I have no agenda. I literally watch all the wrestling that I can in any given day, uh, any given week, and then find something interesting to either educate, learn about, or discuss um, coming up in the following week. Uh, so feel free to check that out. It's on all major podcast platforms. And when I say that, really, I'm talking Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher, uh, as well as Brainbuster Radio. That thing's on everything uh, every Wednesday. Um, but overall, you can find me at Big Paws on a Pup on Twitter, as well as at NPA Podcast. Uh, and more importantly, uh, keep an eye on what JD's doing. This dude is an absolute uh, encyclopedia of of wrestling knowledge, both uh, from the past, the future, and things to expect. So, man, I appreciate you bringing me on. It's been an honor. Oh, thank you. It was good having you here. And as you can tell, I have lost my mm. voice <clears throat> during the cast, so it's pretty crazy. Uh, thank you, everybody. And uh, when we come back, we'll be discussing... 
Uh, we got a five-star iTunes review and WCW Nitro, the first episode after the Great American Bash in 1998, headlined by, uh, well, you're going to have to find out, won't you? <laughs> it's a cage match. That's what's happening. Uh, all right, we'll be back in a minute. All right, we are back. Oh, I hope you, I hope you. Uh, yes, I have my voice back because this is um, this is being recorded after my recording with JPQ. Huh. what a time that was! I don't think I've talked stardom that long in a long time. Uh, it was very nice having JPQ on, but now we have an iTunes review by Omega Goon. Thank you so much for the five-star iTunes review titled, Taking Josie Purosu Coverage to a Whole Other Level. Podcast is awesome, well-produced. Thank you for doing it for us to enjoy and adding another layer of content to go along with our love of Josie Pro Wrestling, covering all our favorite promotions from Stardom to Sendai Girls, Ice Ribbon, Oz Academy, and everything in between. I don't, we don't cover a lot of Oz Academy, but all the others, uh, definitely for sure, um, have talked some Josie in the past. <clears throat> Josie Pro Wrestling, JPW. So, thank you. If you want to... Leave a five-star review. Head on over to iTunes. Red Leaf Retrocast. We'll read it on the cast. Uh, always like getting the feedback from you guys. Uh, also hit us up on all the social medias if you've been sticking around. I'm sure you already are, but that's Red Leaf Retrocast on Twitter. At BullyingJD. That is my personal one. It's also pretty much the Red Leaf Retrocast one. Uh, all the other hosts and commercials and whatnot in the podcast can be found in the description of every episode along with our precious timestamps, where you can listen to whatever you want. We also have Retro Gaming, Modern Gaming, Monthly, Anime, and of course the Wrestling, which is why we're all here. Red Leaf Retrocast going on two and a half years in total, uh, at least a year of all the segments, actually, all the the podcasting uh, outlets. I can't believe it. Um... I never thought I'd be doing it this long, uh, but I love doing it from from just a hobby standpoint and the love of all, all of it. So, here we go. WCW Nitro! We're covering Nitro now! I said on the last episode that this is where I think, after Great American Bash 1998, this is where WCW starts going downhill. So, I will still be watching Thunder, and if something notable or something worth talking about on Thunder happens, I will mention it, but from now on, I'm switching to Nitro. It's the big show, the big brand, the big stars are there. It's June 15th, 1998. It's our... It is the night after the Great American Bash 1998. Uh, We start out reviewing last week of DDP being recruited... Uh, by the NWO Wolfpack, all excited over the speculation of whom Sting is going to pick to be his tag team partner for the tag titles after his victory over at the Great American Bash. Uh, So, we have a lot of speculation and wonder for Nitro heading into the summer. (coughs) Um, And this is where... (laughs) 
Nitro and Thunder are night and day different shows. Thunder was is pretty... And this is good that I covered uh, Thunder for half a year uh, in that time. Because Thunder was strictly a wrestling show. It was the B-show. It felt like a B-show. It had the B-stars, the C-stars, the D-stars, right? You'd occasionally get an A-star on there. Uh, but Nitro, I mean, hell, we're starting out here, we got three Nitro girls dancing off to this extremely hot Nitro music, and we're all from New York City, uh, you know, half-naked girls, it, it feels like the 90s, right? Macho Man Randy Savage, Mean Gene, start off in the ring, uh, Macho Man calls out to Commissioner Roddy Piper to make a steel cage match tonight against DDP, why? Well, if DDP can get past Savage then it's all good boy him to join the wolf pack. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, you know, kind of odd, but it's not like DDP ever said he wanted to be in the wolf pack. That's what I find very strange. But I guess we're assuming that based on his words, he was implying he was going to join until he got attacked from behind by Dennis Rodman and Hogan. <coughs> Excuse me. So announced we'll be seeing the reunited Harlem Heat because uh, Stevie Ray's back from injury versus Sting and Partner X, who who will also be his uh, chosen partner for the tag titles. But our first match out is Benoit versus a former TV champion Fit Finley. Uh, crowd is crazy, yeah, crazy loud during this, yelling Finley sucks. Excellent back and forth affair. Uh, this match gets a long amount of time. Gets, gets in fact, the perfect amount of time, I would say. Benoit reverses the catch from a tombstone attempt into the crippled crossface. It was very smooth to look at. It was beautiful. It was a thing of, it was, it was a thing of hot, a hot knife through butter situation. Uh, I really enjoyed this match. This is what's, what I've been missing on Thunder a lot, is, are matches like this, uh, because I do see these, t these even these guys have matches, but they're always cut short, right? They don't get the amount of time that they deserve. Then there's a post-match promo where uh, Benoit calls out Booker T to his face. And the Harlem Heat come out. That's Booker T and partner Stevie Ray. So Booker T's not alone. Benoit says he is here to do something he should have done a long time ago. That shakes his hand, and then he raises it. Then he tells Booker T if he ever needs a good man to count on, he'll be in his corner. He'll be there. Uh, unfortunately, Stevie Ray takes offense to all this and starts to throw down on Benoit. Uh, you could say Stevie Ray's in the right because that's basically Benoit saying Stevie Ray isn't good enough to protect Booker T or have his back. Uh, but you could also see where Benoit's coming from saying... You know, I just went to war with you. I also am a guy you can count on to be to have to have on your side in case you need the the more the more help, right? Regardless, Booker T's trying to pull Stevie Ray off him, and for the first time in months, we see Mondo McMichael come back. <coughs> Don't even remember uh, Mondo McMichael even being on TV, other than that weird ass feud he had with British Bulldog. That just sort of ended. Uh, he gets a crazy pop, which is also strange. And then Benoit gets on the mic again after this beatdown. He goes, he isn't here for the black and white, nor the red and black. He's only here for... Do, do, do. Then he holds up four fingers. The sign of the four horsemen. So, the crowd pops. We all know what the sign is. 
the commentators pop. They're just like, that can only mean one thing. Very, are they going to remake the stable four horsemen? But you need Arn Anderson and Ric Flair for that, don't you? Or are they just going to remake it on their own terms? Very, of course, I remember what happens, but for this podcast, what happens? <laughs> DDP hits the ring, accepts Macho Man's cage match. Also hints that he found a partner in Salt Lake City, help him take care of the whole Rodman Hogan problem. Uh, they're heavily implying it's Carl, Mal- Carl Malone all day. Yes, it's Carl Malone. <laughs> uh, Piper's now out. He cuts a very good promo. Piper, Roddy Piper's one of the best promos of the game, period. He's the best I've ever heard. He's up there with Ric Flair, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, <coughs> oh, my God. Oh, this is a rough podcast to get through, guys. Uh, when he was in New York, he's so hot, he makes Rush Limbaugh lose weight, puts Howard Stern on the Disney Channel. Says the cage match has the approval, it's on. He also announces since no referee wants to, be, wants to even be in the cage with Savage, because Macho Madness over there, just so happens Piper himself isn't doing anything tonight, boys and girls. So he will be the ref for the cage match himself. And he throws in one great quote again. Grandma, bring the fridge into the living room because it's set to sweat. I love Piper. It's so just phrases I've never heard of before, and yet they make so much sense. Uh, then we get something I was very fascinated in watching. It was uh, IWGP Tag Team Champions. Yes, from New Japan. Uh, it's NWO Japan members. Hir- Hiroshi Tenzon and Chono. Sunglasses and all. I was like, oh my god, that's right. Tenzon's still wrestling. My god, all those years later. 21 years later, Tenzon's still wrestling. Now he can't move like he used to. In fact, he looks like his ankles were blown back then, too. They're against uh, that new team, High Voltage, um, with the with the lightning and, and the such on their gear. Match was pretty flat, really. Uh, Yakuza kick ends it, eventually ends it by Chono. Uh... Chono is a severely good worker. High voltage, eh, they could have held their own as long as they were staying within their their comfort zone. But as soon as Tenzon would get in the ring, it's like he wouldn't click with high voltage. So Chono was constantly having to come in and go, no, 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 let's just stick to these tag maneuvers. High voltage just, they don't know how to improvise like the Japanese style does a lot, right? Uh, but I was very fascinated seeing Chono wrestle and, and a young Tenzon, uh, wrestle. So all four members of the Wolfpack come out and it's basically just an all smiles and gloat affair. Sting teases a partner, but won't reveal it until match time. Uh, crowd is just in the palm of their hands. They're just, you're here to see NWO Wolfpack. You're here to see the red and black all, all day, all day. It was like that crowd was just nonsensically loud uh we get a match of sick boy with Lodi yay my boy Lodi I love Lodi versus Canyon formerly known as Mortis simple match not much to it Canyon wins via the flatliner Lodi sign said sick boy coming to a clinic near you so uh not one of his best signs but it does, it, you know 
didn't catch my attention at least. Uh, Canyon continues his uh, winning ways. WCW seems very high on uh, Chris Canyon over here. Uh, take it, still taking out the flock. So Chris Hennig and uh, Rick Rude come out to cut a promo over Goldberg because they did so well at the bash. Uh, uh, then they go into how you'll never see Hennig swerve the black and white, nor rude. They talk about all the swerves Hennig has done. He's like, I joined, I was, I was joining the four horsemen, swerve them. Then I joined the red and black, swerve them. I've always been black and white. I'll never swerve you. Then him and rude look back and forth at each other awkwardly. You know, they look at the camera, look at them. They do it three times. It was quite funny. So it's like they clearly don't trust each other because they swerved so many times at this point. <laughs> oh, I love those characters. Uh, God, I wish Rick Rude didn't get hurt so early, but he kind of milked it. I'm sure he could have kept wrestling. But anyways, one of my favorite segments of the night is right here. J.J. Dillon and Mean Gene come out to admit that the victor at the Great American Bash was indeed Chris Jericho. He is the new cruiserweight champion. However, <coughs> there's an understanding that he defends the belt within 30 days and against Dean Malenko. Ho, ho, ho. Hold on, Jojo Dillon. Chris Jericho gloats. He gloats some more. And he says he knows all the rules because he went to the Library of Congress to find the NWA stipulated rules. He says, yes, I do have to defend the title in 30 days, but no, no, I don't have to defend against Dean Malenko. <laughs> There's no nothing that says he has to do that. Uh, and then he goes, Dean Malenko is in fact a loser, just like his dear old dad. And upon saying that, Dean Malenko just storms from the crowd, pounces on Jericho like a, like a freaking cheetah on its prey. Uh, they fight to the parking lot until two guys hold Jer hold Malenko back, and Jericho just runs away up the parking lot. Uh, I love this segment. It was easily my favorite of the entire night. Uh, then we get a squash match. Really bring the crowd down. Uh, the Giant comes out smoking a cigarette, just like he did at Bash against Sting. He's against uh, British workhorse Chris Adams. Chris Adams tries to interrupt the smoke break. How dare he? But Giant just choke slam him for the easy win. So there you go. Ah, it's Hogan. Hulk Hogan time. He cuts his typical Hulk Hogan promo. Hypes up him and Rodman versus DDP and his mail carrier at the beach. Further implying that it is indeed Carl Malone. Then we get Sting out. For his for, oh yeah, it's tag team match time. Sting comes out, announces Kevin Nash at his as his tag title partner. Not Best friend Lex Luger. Nash does a survey. Still no Scott Hall. Big ovation for the red and black. Outcome Harlem Heat for the match. This was a really good tag team match. It really shows how damn good as a team Harlem Heat were and how much they clicked together. Uh, and there was a nice little story here where Stevie Ray is uh, cocky. And he does one cocky gesture too many. Uh you know, getting over himself, telling Booker T, like, this is how you need to do it. And once he does one too many, uh, Sting hits him with the Scorpion Death Drop. Still tag champs. Just bam. I, I, you know, when it's a TV show like this, I like little stories like this. I really do. You know, you don't have to have a 20-minute banger every TV show. You can have, 
a 10-minute match uh, that ends early because of, you know, bad decisions in the moment, uh, a distraction here or there, um, something's in their head via some other story mechanism. I do like that. Uh, This is what I liked about WCW a lot growing up, was these kind of things. Uh, they st- they stick on you. So then when you get that 20-minute explosion at the pay-per-view, you're really into it. Uh, that's why I've liked a lot of the pay-per-views um, that we've covered on this podcast uh, in 1998. Yeah, there have been some uh, a couple stinkers, but I've enjoyed the majority of them. We get a NWO paid advertisement hyping up superstar Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner on a Hollywood movie set. We get Steiner and Bischoff for an interview, and Steiner cuts a promo about what a great actor he is. What a true thespian he is. And further taunts his brother Rick. It was fucking funny. (laughs) So ridiculous. Uh, Because when you think great actor and great person to... Uh, re re utter scripted lines. Oh, it's Scott Steiner. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Uh, I thought we were done with the feud though, but it really just continues with Rick Steiner. Uh, when Rad was frequenting this podcast, he had remembered how just utterly long and drawn out this Rick versus Scott Steiner feud went it just it just kept coming but never ending or going anywhere uh now i see exactly what he's meaning uh just want to say i vastly prefer bobby heenan on commentary over larry zabisco uh larry zabisco is in the first hour of nitro luckily heenan comes in right after that and takes over so it's heenan Tanay, and shivani and those three remain my favorite announcers of all time a lot of people will say jr and lawler from the monday night raw days during the attitude era mine is heenan Tanay, and shivani like no contest uh heenan was just i loved him over anybody else on commentary it was he always had his corks shivani was the color commentator and iron mike Tanay uh was the up-and-comer all made sense i love the voices uh it was great Main event time, cage match. Savage against DDP. Note. Cage is sealed on top. Just, uh, gotta point that out. Pretty good exchange between DDP and Savage until Savage hits his elbow drop. DDP kicks out. This causes Macho Man to blame Roddy Roddy Piper for the slow count. This is where the little story continues with Savage and Piper. They fight some more, and the same happens to DDP after he hits a diamond cutter. So DDP gets in Piper's face, which doesn't totally make sense to me, but at least uh, they're both blaming Piper for the problems. Uh, This causes a kind of a throwdown between Piper, DDP, and Macho Man. Piper beats the two of them up, and then the cage mysteriously raises about a foot up off the mat. That's when you see the black and white Hollywood MWO just hit the ring, beat down all three of those guys savagely. The cage goes down to seal them back in. The Wolfpack 
is out looking at the cage. So the cage is sealed, so they can't get in. Sting climbs on top of the cage. All pretty wild. Meanwhile, all three guys in the ring are just getting savagely beat down by the NWO. Eventually, and pretty quick I might add, Nash decides to not look like a dumbass. And he goes to the back, chases a guy off, gets the remote, and raises the cage back up. He gets the control. Uh, that's As soon as the cage goes up, NWO Hollywood just flees the ring because they've done their beatdown. And Nitro goes off the air. So... Wolfpack don't look like total fools. Nash comes off looking like, hey, I figured you guys out. Get the hell out of there. Saved our buddies from, you know, getting severely hurt. But NWO Hollywood got the job done by getting in the way of this match. Uh, I quite like this. Um, It's very different. I've never seen anything like that. I would love to see this again. You know, uh, there are certain instances where you can see this from happening. Uh, It's pretty cool. I would like to see a... A stipulation of a of an enclosed cage, not hell in a cell, just a uh, a cage with the top covered. You know, the idea is to keep them in. You, there's no way out until the match is over. Situation. Um, so that was Nitro. Uh, not as downhill as I was expecting, but hey, there's plenty of time for that, guys. We're heading to the uh, uh, Bash of the Beach, which is in July. That's our next pay per view, I believe. So, we've got that to look forward to. And so, how's the flock coming into play? Where's Canyon standing? Chris Jericho defending his title, maybe? Uh, Hogan's still champion, but obviously they're heading to the tag team with uh, the basketball players, the NBA players. Uh, which I was really into as a kid, I'll admit it. So, what does our wrestler rankings finally look like? It's been a long time, boys. So, just starting from the bottom. Uh, 15 Dookie, 14 Titan, 13 Bushi, 12 Marty Skrull, 11 Jonathan Gresham, 10 Bandito, 9 Taguchi, 8 Will Ospreay, 7 Dragon Lee, 6 Taiji Ishimori, 5 El Phantasmo, 4 Seth Rollins, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 4 Seth Rollins, 3 AJ Styles, 2 Rapongi, 3 K, I'm putting all 3 of them in that category, just like a faction tag team, 1 Shingo Takagi, I think that, that was pretty obvious, the way I hyped that up. Uh, so a lot of best of the super juniors happened here. Uh, not a whole lot of WWE love, uh, surprisingly enough, right? And then the women, 10, Miyagi, 9, uh, Tam Nakano, 8, Becky Lynch, 7, Jordan Grace, 6, Selena De La Renta. I did it. I did it. Manager, yes. Women, also yes. But she's doing her point. So managers can get on the list if you make a very good impression. I'm trying to get more promo work into these rankings as well because uh, that's a big part of wrestling five Momotanabe four Kagetsu three Tony Storm two Bailey one B Priestley so I'm very look uh, much looking forward to the next episode covering Super Strong Style 16 for Progress WXW True Colors more Best of the Super Juniors uh, Stardom at Corican Hall uh, and ooh uh, uh, AEW Double or Nothing. So those are your big, and Dragon Gate. So we got six pay-per-views plus our weekly wrestling still. So we got a big show coming up, uh, that you'll probably see in the next week. So there you go. I hope you guys enjoyed. We'll see you next time.